This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy Friday. Hmm. This is an exciting day of the week. It's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a great weekend. Yeah. Ha! So much to talk about, so much uh, to get to today. Uh, of course, we will be, um, we'll have a great guest. Today we're going to be talking about one of the most overlooked resources to fight violent extremism. Radicalization of of the youth into the ISIS philosophy. Guess who it is? Mommy. Moms. They may be even better fighters because they're fighting for their kid's life, right? They don't want their child to go fight for ISIS. They're probably better than anything the CIA can even do. Apparently. You just got to – we just got to empower these women and these moms and and families really to – to notice what's going on with their kids. We'll talk uh, with an expert on that. Daniel Kohler will be joining us. Plus, um, we've got uh, a little Trump date. Yeah. Apparently, he had a yeah, press that... conference last night. No, it was more of a campaign rally. No, it was a campaign rally. Yeah. Victory tour, right? He's on the victory tour. It went to Ohio, went to Indiana to sign the carrier deal, I guess. But I forget what the campaign wants to call it, but victory tour isn't no, the it's... term they want. It's, I think it's neener, neener, neener. You are all losers. No, it's their their term <laughs> is more of a uniting sort of phrase. Oh, yeah. yeah. But the first thing that came out was that it's a victory tour. But and then they, they came in to kind of change It's interesting. When he stayed on prompter, on it. it seemed like he went off prompter. But when he was on prompter, he was saying all of these really incredible things that we need to unify. The media tends to divide us. Mm. We need to unify America. Uh, we don't need to divide us into camps. He was doing all – and then – he went off topic and then started beating up Evan McMullen and a bunch of other people. It's a lot more fun when he's off teleprompter. Well, it's more fun for you, the media. You can see sure. that he's having a good time. When he's on teleprompter, he's just you know doing his job. And we'll get to all – we've got some great quotes from uh, President-elect Trump. I was going to pull some Mike Pence quotes, but they were no. just too level-headed. I, yeah. He also only, I think, spoke like two minutes yeah, he talked for a couple yeah. minutes to He each. introduced the Donald Trump. Well, no, he spoke to uh, several news organizations Oh, yesterday. after. Oh, yeah. he did. He did all the, the presser. Yeah. yeah. And then even Trump, in some of his rantings, slipped the name of his new defense secretary out there. Yeah, he goes, don't tell anybody. Whoops. <laughs> we'll keep this a secret. That'll get him. That'll get him. So we'll get to that fun today. Um, by the way, uh, today is, is a day well, – it's a special day because it's the day we have no other special uh, – celebrations today we're not celebrating red apple day we're oh, not come on i know it's just a regular day but we like to call it friday so it makes it even more special we'll get to that fun as well plus goat yoga i think it's yoga I thought you said goat yoga or yeah. goat yoda not yoda goat yoga and this oh. song is about yo yo yoga Yo, 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 yo. Uh, oh, that's a different about, kind of yoga. Yeah. Yo, yo, yoga. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's the best. Walk the dog. So relaxing. So it's not downward dog. It's mm-hmm. walk the dog. Yeah, it's walk the dog. Yeah, shoot the moon. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're all different moves you can wow. do. Wow. Today's goat yoga. We've got a great story. 
If you're going to do yoga, you may as well involve a goat. Or Yoda. Or Yoda on a goat. Now that Yoda yo yo yoga. It's a great song, though. Gotta love it. Okay, let's get to the headlines now. Sadie Nielsen is joining us. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? President-elect Donald Trump announced officially at a rally in Cincinnati, Ohio, that he has selected retired Marine Corps General Mattis for the position of Secretary of Defense, despite the fact his campaign said earlier in the day that no decision had been reached yet. But we're not announcing until Monday, so don't tell anybody, Trump told the crowd after making the announcement. It was billed as a way to say thank you to his supporters, but the event Donald Trump held Thursday on a Thursday night in Ohio felt more like one of his campaign rallies, complete with digs at the media and Hillary Clinton and a promise to build a wall along the U.S.-Mexico border. After starting an hour late due to traffic, Trump called the press extremely dishonest and mark- mocked earlier reports that stated he wasn't going to win. He also said he will repeal Obamacare. At the end of his rally, Trump declared, we do not know what the next page will read. I'll tell you, it's going to be a great page. During a visit to the carrier plant in Indianapolis, President-elect Donald Trump vowed more companies will follow the heating and air conditioning company in deciding against setting jobs overseas. Companies are not going to leave the United States anymore without consequences. Not going to happen, Trump said, explaining that while we, we like Mexico, the U.S. needs to have a fair shake. Aside from imposing consequences on businesses heading overseas, Trump also said he would introduce incentives for companies to keep jobs in the country, including the lowering of business tax. And finally, in your Donald Trump Christmas news, on Wednesday, President-elect Donald Trump unveiled a $150 Christmas tree ornament, a miniature Make America Great Again hat. Trucker hat he's got. Oh, really? It's finished. I, I thought he changed the he image. Did. Now his hat says um, USA. It says USA across, and then forty-five on the side because he's the president. Yeah, I mean, he's the yeah. yeah. So he's got a he's got a. So we're going to see Trump pre- hat ornament press conferences yes. across the globe with our president with that hat on. Yes. So it is finished in brass. It has fourteen karat gold. Um, it's already had many awesome reviews on Amazon. One of them <laughs> said, "Despite ordering a more reasonable ornament, this one arrived. It is huge." It is absolutely huge. huge. It is the biggest ornament. Huge. I hung it on my tree, but it is so huge that it has totally unbalanced my whole tree. No matter where I hang it, the tree leans way over to the far right. And an update, <laughs> they now cost $249, oh. including Uh-oh. shipping. Better get them while they're hot, man. This is they're The exclusive. price is going nowhere but up. Right. So... <sighs> We love uh, these Donald Trump updates. A a far-right-leaning tree. Yes, only because the ornament was hung on it. Is he far-right, though? No. So it's more, wouldn't it be kind of, not even, what what, is he middle? Is he left? Is he right? Nobody knows, and no one will ever know. He's up and down He's whatever he needs to be. Thank you, Sadie. I have a feeling we are in for a big surprise with Donald Trump. Because I don't think anybody gets him. No. And the press is going crazy. It's a moving target. Because everyone keeps expecting him to follow some ideology. But I really, I honestly don't think he has one. I think his ideology is he wants to be president. He will do whatever it takes to be president. Who wouldn't do that, though? For whatever, he'll do it. Who wouldn't do that? Of any of the candidates, especially in this election that you saw. Right. 
they all tried to do the same thing. They would do whatever they could. But the difference is, like, a lot of people have an ideology. They actually stick to conservatism or liberalism. He really doesn't. He just... It might people say he just wants to help America, okay, whatever. He also wants to help America and be president and be the most powerful man on earth and and run a business vicariously through his children. Yeah. I, I think the funny thing he's is he's gonna put up a blind trust, it'll be fine. And honestly, I think he thinks in his head he will. But he's he cannot not control it. It's just Except it's a blind trust run by his kids, so it's really not right. a blind trust. But it's fine. It's fine. But it's the fine. crazy thing in the end, I think – I don't think – everyone tries to understand him. The, the, the media is – they're going crazy. Yeah. They keep – they're like tearing apart this carrier deal. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, it mattered. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was a symbol. Everything he does is just the next symbol and he'll have 40 of them a day. And don't believe any of them because he doesn't believe any of them. He didn't know he was going to do the carrier deal. Did you read that? Yeah. Till, yeah. He was like, "What? Oh, I just was kind of meaning that as a metaphor." Yeah. Let's go ahead yeah. and do something there. Honestly, I think that's how his brain works. I think he says it, and but he now he's he was, realizing he was watching is, NBC News and he saw an interview with somebody. He some, says, "I'm not losing my job at Carrier." Yeah. Donald Trump said he's going to save it, and he's like, "Did I say that? I guess I did." When all the liberals wow. are like, "This is he's horrible," I mean, and then even Van Jones is like, "Give him a chance. Just give him a chance." But the reality is there's nothing conventional here. No. The press are not going to have the power here. They won't because it, the truth isn't the point. It's, there's, there's no standard we're used to looking at. So just hang on for the ride. And I think in a way it'll be he'll create – they think he'll create more change than Reagan did than, because he can. Whatever. See what happens. Oh, it's crazy. Handing out incentives to companies to stay, though? Well, yeah, but guess what? Well, uh, what's stopping the next company from threatening to move to see if they can get an incentive? Well, right. No, they will. Right. But watch. A, a, a take, you know, maybe a threat to take away your federal contracts wasn't enough. They also had to give the incentives. Mm-hmm. So, I oh, mean, yeah. if it was enough, he could just say, I'm going to take your contracts. They would stay. But that right. doesn't seem to be enough. But see, so apparently presidents have been doing this forever. You're going to increase steel costs? Ma'am. The presidents back in the old day would come bring you into the White House and pummel you. You're Ma'am. not increasing steel costs. We can't afford that as a country. Mm. Sorry, can't do it. But one of the crazy things uh, they're saying, too, is he's um, – everyone's like, well, government shouldn't be interacting. In fact, this is big in the Wall Street Journal today. Yeah. Government should not be intervening in business. Yeah. Except government have been, has been intervening in business for the last eight years, creating regulation that not, intervenes in business. Not publicly, though. Well, right. They'd bring them in and they'd have a meeting. Well, and no, send no, them no. Their publicly, way. they've created, they've passed laws and regulations. Well, that's that what government been, does. It, well, I know, but, should, but that's what that's what Donald and Middle America is saying is driving the jobs out. This now Donald's what, saying, "I'm just going to intervene very publicly." <laughs> This is what you the, and make carrier it's highlight. It's being compared to mafia tactics. Oh, it is totally where you the Godfather brings you in and says, "I have to ask you for a favor, <laughs> <laughs> something you're going to do." But for you me. know what else? It's weird. It seems to be putting Carrier in a really strange position. Hmm. Because and uh, what's their name? United Technologies. Yes, uh, they're in a weird position now because they become the poster child of companies that really shouldn't be moving jobs out of America. So next time they have to move a job out of America, there will be such a major spotlight. I mean, they're already going to move half the jobs out of Indiana anyway, out. Yeah. But, you know, they own a lot of companies. They do. 
And so the next time they have to, they're moving and closing a plant, United Technologies is going to get a lot of attention, which may not be good. Right. Right now they might be getting some good press. Woo! It's scary. Scary. But okay. When you weigh the odds of paying employees thirty dollars an hour versus Mexican yeah. employees five dollars an hour, yeah. it's like ah, let's you know, it's just business. Yeah. And there's a global market, right? Mm-hmm. There's a global economy. Uh, let's get to some of the quotes from Trump last night. Um, he is Trump still going to build a wall? And I think companies, oh, we're going to build a wall. People are saying, do you think Trump's going to build a wall? Trust me, we're going to build a wall. And by the way, people are going to come through that wall. We're going to have doors in that wall. But they're going to come through legally. And people are going to come through on worker permits to work the fields. We're going to have people, a lot of people are going to come through. But it's going to be done through a legal process. But one thing that's not going to come through is drugs. The drugs, drugs are going to come stop. through. Drugs will you, go over the wall. I love it when you describe the doors in the wall. Yeah. It's the best part. But it is a it's kinder, a it's, it's a kinder, gentler wall than he used to talk about, right? The wall was just one wall. There were no doors in it. No, no. He'd talk about doors. Would he? He first just talked about a wall. Then he added doors to the wall. Yeah. And Are there windows? I don't know. Did it sound like the applause died down when he said drugs won't be coming through? <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, oh, oh no. come on. <laughs> uh, he, he, remember, he also, um, he, he did, he won an election. And uh, some, he, he made a comment about how much fun he had doing it. Although we did have a lot of fun fighting Hillary, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Lock her up. Lock her up. It's back. Well, I guess it never went away. Man. Maybe it did. It's so confusing. It really is... I don't know. It's that's throwing meat to the lions, right? I mean, right. that's just. Could he at least just put her on house arrest? Wouldn't that be a uh, a more gentle thing to do? It seems like she is on house yeah, I know. arrest. She's just kind of wandering the woods. People keep taking pictures with her. He also let slip last night that retired Marine General uh, James Mattis will be his secretary. Of Mad def- Dog Mattis. Ma- James you. Mad Dog Mattis will be so his secretary. So I will of not tell you that one of our great great generals. Don't let it outside, right? And of course, the press is very honest. I'll never let this go. We are going to appoint Mad Dog Mattis as our Secretary of Defense. But we're not announcing it till Monday, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> everybody, everybody in the cabinet needs a nickname now. Mad Dog Mattis. You can't go Mad Dog and just let everyone else sit there. How cool is it, though, that the Secretary of Defense is Mad Dog? Oh, yeah. You've got to have Mad Dog. Yeah. You've got to. And apparently just one tough general. Apparently he's a Mad Dog. Mad Dog! He, he needs a waiver, though. Yeah. Apparently when you, yeah, uh, you leave can't. the service, you, there's a certain amount of time. Like seven you years, might, you can't. You can't have another job. I guess, as a general, a you can't job. work for yeah the government as a retired general. So he for needs seven a waiver years. through Congress. They said they're going to take care of. They'll, they'll it'll be. Fine. You'll see some Democrats trying to take a stand, but they're outnumbered, so it doesn't matter. He, he then he he seemed to have everybody up to that point. Yes. Then it seems like he just started. You know, he just started wavering. <laughs> he just started kind of going off and. Uh, he got into a whole discussion about Evan McMullen without without ever name. saying his name. Evan no. McMullen was the independent third party yeah. candidate, basically only running in a handful of western states. Yeah. 
not really a blip on the radar, but mm. he keeps talking about him. So. And this was this was his comment and, and, and really about showing some frustration that certain states he could have lost, the media were saying. Um, one of them was Utah, where Evan McMullen, I think, came in second or third. As a Republican, I'm supposed to win the great state of Utah. I love Utah. Love those states. Remember when they said Donald Trump is going to lose to some guy I never even heard of? Who was that guy? He is going to lose to this guy. But the people of Utah were amazing, and we trounced them. And by the way, Hillary came in second, and that guy came in third. I was still trying to figure out. I'm still trying to figure out what was he going to prove. I guess he wanted us to lose the Supreme Court. That's about the only thing he was going to get. This is the this is the unity tour. Yes, yes. This this is Donald unifying. Oh, the victory tour. Yeah, the victory tour. But not because it's they don't victory. That's so selfish. I thought he was trying to unify America. In fact, uh, here's his line about how he wants to unify us. We spend too much time focusing on what divides us. Now is the time to embrace the one thing that truly unites us. You know what that is? America, America. It's America. Too, well, too much time on what divides us. It seems like the wall hmm. is something that divides us. Literally. Yep. And mm-hmm. it also seems like bringing up Hillary now mm. is something that divides us. Yep. Mm-hmm. It also seems like bringing up a third-party candidate that didn't receive 1% of the vote divides us. Right. Huh. It just seems like it seems like he's still dividing us. But talking unity. Yeah. Huh. It's a, it's an approach. Yeah. Uh, I guess it is true that what would unite us is if we no longer have any companies leave the United States. Companies are not going to leave the United States anymore without consequences. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Tell you right now. One of the things we're doing to keep them is we're going to be lowering our business tax from 35 percent hopefully down to 15%, which would take us from the highest tax nation virtually in the world. This is terrible for business. To one of the lower tax, not the lowest yet, but one of the lower tax. By the way, United Technologies? Yeah. We hear about the, the carrier plant. The next city over in, in Indiana, uh, there's a plant, 700 jobs are going to Mexico. They're going to Mexico. Well, the reality is carrier <laughs> built a plant. Yeah, they have to. The plant's almost ready in Mexico. Things... Things are going to Mexico. But uh, one really interesting point um, Trump did bring up is that the old rules, they're no longer going to apply. People are constantly telling me and telling you to reduce our expectations. Those people are fools. They're fools. But this campaign proved that the old rules no longer apply, that anything we want for our country is now possible. Now is not the time to downsize our dreams, but to set our sights higher than ever before for our country. Hmm. All right. President-elect Donald Trump, there you have it. Hmm. Hang on for the ride, kids. Hey, we will take a break. When we come back, we will be talking about the most overlooked resource in fighting violent extremism. And uh, it's probably one of the most important resources we have on Earth. Moms, 
Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. According to experts on violent extremism, Islamic State recruitment in the United States is reaching record levels. ISIS recruiting efforts have shifted their focus to young adults and even younger teenagers. Daniel Kohler, director of the German Institute on Radicalization and Deradicalization Studies, believes that mothers are an important resource in combating violent extremism. And he joins us today from Germany. Daniel Kohler, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hello, thanks for having me. Great to have you. And uh, loved the article we read about you um, in the Huffington Post. Um, radical extremism, we hear about it. It really is uh, the the foundational, I guess, ideology, paradigm, tool used, um, it seems like, to uh, in the in the terrorist um, you know, arsenal. And, and one of the things that I think is fascinating about what you're doing is you're, you're trying to figure out how to minimize and eliminate radicalization um, at, at kind of the grassroots level. Talk to us about what you're, what you're doing, Daniel. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So what I do is I work with those individuals who are called and research associate gatekeepers. These persons have a close, positive relationship emotional relationship with the person that might be at risk of radicalizing. It can be the parents, brothers, sisters, childhood friends, colleagues, employers, so anyone who has some form of positive relationship with the person. And we know from many studies that these associate gatekeepers, these close friends, uh, associates, family members, are the ones recognizing a radicalization process first. We know that even for phenomena like lone wolf terrorism where we think that people radicalize completely alone and no one recognize it in the vast majority of cases there is someone a friend a family member who who would say afterwards there was something i recognized something there was something strange my brother my sister my son my daughter changed in a certain direction but i had, I had no idea what to do i had no help i had no no one to help me interpret the signs and, and know what to do about it or against that and this is what I do. I provide specific training for expert counselors and advise governments to build family support programs to assist families and communities in recognizing a violent radicalization process as early as possible and to give them the tools to prevent anything further from happening so that the mm. person radicalizing further because we know that communities and families are our first line of defense and we need to empower them we need to strengthen them and provide them with the tools and expert advice that they need love that that is because we've heard about it over and over these these a lot of these people feel estranged they feel um disconnected from their communities especially here in the united states i know that's what we hear here um Talk about because really there's there's you you mentioned there's three different approaches that a country can take prevention repression and intervention and many times we end up going more on the prevention and repression side of uh, extremism and of um, uh, just just I guess this this indoctrination but it, but you're you're really focusing on the the front line of intervening finding these people and really training the family members that are close to them empowering them and giving them somewhere to go to get the resources and the help they need 
Yeah, that's right. Because when when we are looking at people radicalizing, uh, we need to work with these individuals and these families and communities that are affected. We cannot arrest or kill our way out of violent mm. extremism. It simply won't work. And we can, of course, and we should, of course, invest more in prevention and education against extremism. This is what is currently happening, at least uh, this administration has done a lot to pour a little bit more support, financial support in some communities and, and model cities to build some prevention projects. But what we need is we need to support families who are affected right now with their sons and daughters thinking about going to Syria and Iraq or having made the attempt to travel to Syria and Iraq or even looking into other extremist groups like neo-Nazis, for example. We've seen a massive upsurge in, in far-right or hate, hate crimes and far-right violence in the United States and other countries, Western countries as well. It's not just the United States. So we need to do something about those individuals who are right now radicalizing, who are right now turning violent, who are right now engaging in violent extremist groups uh, or making the attempt to join even terrorist groups. And for that, we need to look at intervention. Intervention-style programs address the root causes or the motivational aspects of a person radicalizing. We ask what drives that person. Sometimes it's frustration or the disintegration. Sometimes it is the quest for justice and honor and dignity and pride. Sometimes they are simply driven by humanitarian aspects. They want to help defend women and children in Syria and think Western countries don't do enough uh, for their brothers and sisters. Or sometimes it's just fear and anger. So there are many, many different yeah. aspects. And we need to provide families and communities, first of all, with understanding and assessment. We need to have experts available that can assess the situation, how far has someone progressed into violent extremism, and why, so that we can hand-tailor an individual approach and help the families and communities, because they are the ones who are most legitimate to suggest alternative solutions, to, adjust, to, to suggest simply changing the ways. And, and there we can help the families and we can help the communities. Because if... If the if the child or the youth or the teen or the adult, you know, whatever reason, they're, if they're feeling not integrated, ostracized, then that's a different approach than if they really want better humanitarian service for people in Syria. You, but you need to go in and assess it and figure out why this person is leaning toward radicalization or being radicalized and then intervene. Exactly. That's powerful. Exactly. I've worked with yeah, – I've worked with teenagers – who had high school degrees, later on university degrees, came from well-off well families, and they didn't feel left alone. They, they had all the perspectives, all the future perspectives that you would wish for in, in our countries, and they still chose to go to Syria because they wanted to achieve something else. They wanted to build a new state. They wanted to, to uh, deliver humanitarian aid and help human beings, and they simply thought in a Western country, they could not do that. So we, we could not help these individuals by providing a new job or education. They have that. Right. They have friends and they have a loving family. So we need to help them to solve these problems, to work with a charity or do an awareness raising campaign and really change something with our, with our tools that we have at our disposal and not going there and helping a terrorist organization. And you mentioned um, in the article a 19-year-old whose, I guess, mother noticed he was starting to talk a lot about traveling to Syria to join ISIS, and the mother intervened by grabbing or by taking his his documents, his passport. 
Um, I guess you're not saying every mother should go take their kids' passports, but you're saying, you know, if you if you notice these things, there is a resource. Your organization is a resource that they can turn to to be informed and find out what to do. Exactly, because uh, in my in my experience, many parents recognize something. Many mothers actually know that something is going wrong and they obviously want to protect the children sometimes they overreact or they react in a counterproductive way and radicalization or recruiters these groups they work with these provocations they want these kind of escalations within Mm -hmm. the family because that would prove to them and their recruits see even your own mother stands between you and your honorable goals even your own parents do not understand you as uh, a true Muslim. Only we understand you. Only we are the ones supporting you. So they would deliberately provoke these kind of conflicts in the family and use them as a proof that they are right. So we need to help the families to understand where not to fall for these provocations, where to take out the steam of this very sophisticated psychological process. ISIL has an own recruitment handbook that they train their recruiters on. And it's very sophisticated. They have a five-step process, and they, they wouldn't even mention the term jihad until the fourth stage. Hmm. They are actually very much concerned about building a positive emotional relationship with their recruit so that they can turn this relationship against the family, against the friends, against the school. And this, for this, they, they take time. They are very careful not to step in between the recruit and his or her family in the early stages. So they're very careful about that. What we need to do is we need to protect these bonds, these emotional bonds between the gatekeepers and the potential recruit so that we can help them not to fall for these these provocations. And we knew ISIS, we knew that they were advanced, you know, financially. We knew that they were strong so, you know, on social media. I didn't realize they had such a structured ideology and, and psychological approach to bringing to radicalizing it but it's so it really is this is the first time daniel i've heard of of an organized group that's psychologically equaling and taking on isis that's powerful yeah so what we do is um we we are engaging in a form of psychological warfare we're turning their own recruitment psychology which is trust-based yeah against them so i'm working with those individuals who have that trust that isil desperately wants to have. Uh, we are working with the mothers who have taken care of the children when they were sick. We're, we're working with fathers who, who caught them when they were falling as little children. We are working with childhood friends and teachers, those individuals who have that trust that ISIL wants to destroy. And they want to have that kind of trust because otherwise it's very hard to convince a teenager or a 16-year-old, 14-year-old to leave everything behind and try to travel to Syria and pick up a gun. Mm-hmm. So this is a very sophisticated psychology, and, and ISIL has turned that psychology into a mass product. They have written the book. They've published it. It's, it's freely available. Every, everyone can read it. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm so astounded every time that actually we in the West and experts and policymakers, we fail to study our own enemy. We fail to look at what they actually want to do. And I've studied radicalization processes in the U.S. and Western Europe and in other countries, and I can tell you the vast majority of them are by the book radicalization process. They are almost all the same Mm -hmm. the way how they work, the mechanism behind it. And this is no surprise because 
they use a book and they have a handbook for it and they use the same approach all and over because it's more effective for them. That is so – it's true. It's uh, – and it actually it, – it seems like a no-brainer. We should be understanding the psychological side of this and, and I think you're right because it's easier to just – let's just make it a military option. Let's make it a border, an immigration issue. We make it every other issue but the issue it is – uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. If you want more information about uh, what um, uh, Daniel is doing, you can go to GIRDS.org, G-I-R-D-S dot org, GIRDS.org, and uh, we'll get you started on that. When we come back, we'll find out what we can do and the process of de-radicalizing um, another person and the importance just families, neighbors, friends, close ones have uh, to, to making a change in this. Stick with us. The Matt Townsend Show helping you be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. How do we combat ISIS or ISIL recruiting efforts in the United States? How do you take on an organization that is psychologically trying to basically cre- replace uh, the the family of uh, of a young, let's say, fifteen year old uh, individual? And you know, parents love them. But they've got a beef. Something's wrong. Something's not working for them. And then ISIL knows all they've got to do is get in there. And apparently they have about a five-point plan. And one by one, they just start winning over the trust. And um, our guest today, Daniel Kohler, is the director of the German Institutes uh, on Radicalization and De-Radicalization Studies, GIRDS, it's called. If you go to GIRDS, G-I-R-D-S dot org, you can find out about the the organization. And what it uh, really is doing is it's a resource for people, for parents, for social uh, workers, for governments to be trained in how to, how to de-radicalize people that have already that are on the verge or that are already in the in maybe in the traps of ISIS and ISIL. Daniel Kohler, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Talk about um, so if, if I'm a parent and I'm noticing that my child and maybe give us some of the the more obvious signs that my child is maybe starting down the, the process of radicalization. What do I look for and what do I do? Who do I call? How do I get a hold of your organization? And then talk me through what your organization will do. Mm-hmm. So uh, currently when we look at the more obvious signs, for example, if they share clear ISIS or ISIL propaganda uh, on Facebook or Twitter, if they use ISIL terminology, if they, for example, call their friends green birds, which is a reference to uh, martyrs, actually, or if they more and more um, reject other interpretations of Islam, if they practice takfirism, meaning if they call other Muslims uh, infidels or non-Muslims because they're not practicing correctly, Mm. if they start meeting uh, with specific Salafi preachers, if they, the more and more fights and arguments in the families about specific political issues like in Syria and Iraq, or if they uh, do not even say Syria, but Asham, 
which is obviously the geographical denomination for the Salafi understanding or the, the caliphate there. Um, and, and these kind of things, if they more and more uh, reject the family, if they more and more reject alternative interpretations, if they have a very wave-like behavior, if they have peaks, energy bursts, where they go out and do a lot of activities that are centering around religion and faith. And on the other uh, part, they have lows that almost look like a depression or frustration. They don't get even out of the bed. They don't sleep well. They don't eat well because they are so concerned in their own ideology with a certain problem, the suffering, for example, of women and children in Syria. They're constantly pushed forward by a radical group, either online or offline, to look for new solutions, try out new things, and then they are directed, obviously, to performing the hijra, which means uh, leaving a Western country and traveling to a Muslim country, in this case, Syria or Iraq. Mm. So these these signs are the more obvious ones, and there are more subtle ones as well. And radicalization, violent radicalization, is a complex psychological process, so we don't know for each and every person how they react uh, in a certain situation, but we can get close to identify what, what might happen. If you look at the fact that these experts that are trained, these social workers or family members, uh, parents that have lost their children and now are doing family counseling themselves, they have seen that before, and we have studied hundreds of cases in the last year. So for these kids, it's the first time they're radicalized. For us, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's another time that we've seen another case. Mm. We see that these elements, these behavioral elements, they pop up all the time. So we, we can identify a number of radicalization factors, and we can actually assess very well how far someone has progressed so far. And if there's a high risk of someone thinking about going in the next couple of days or making the attempt or if they're in the early stages of radicalization. And this is very important. So if you would contact me either online or reach out to me in any other form, I would try to connect you to a program or counselor in your vicinity that I've trained. Um, I've trained family counseling programs in Canada uh, and in, in the U.S. in Minneapolis, for example. I've trained probation officers. So individuals that can help you assess the situation, or I help you myself, so I would try to find out as much as I can about your situation. You would describe your situation to me, what is actually causing the concern. I would help to provide you with an understanding of what is happening right now. Is, is it my understanding as well that there's actually a reason for concern? Is there a radicalization process or not? Might there be other reasons for the behavior or for your concerns? Um, and if, if I see the risk of a radicalization. I would help you to understand what drives your son or daughter towards that group, what might he or she find attractive, and what could be easy ways to, um, to take out the steam of it, to provide alternative solutions, and to not let the situation escalate. So I would teach you how to spot certain provocations. I would tell you or offer certain alternative ways to react to them. Um, understanding, in my perspective, is one of the most important things that you have to offer. When, when, because when families do not understand what is happening, they get afraid, they panic, they don't know what to do, and usually they react very uh, protectively or repressively. They take away passports, they lock them up, they, uh, they say you, you're not allowed to go to a certain place, meet with certain people, or go to a certain mosque, which is obviously the exact 
reaction that a group like ISIL hopes for. Right. So they could always say, now they are cracking down on your true faith. They are not even respecting your faith, and we're not doing anything harmful. We're just giving you the opportunity to live out your faith and uh, doing something good for others. And this is what you said in the beginning. They are actually trying to replace the, the biological family with a spiritual family, with themselves. So they want to be the ones that can interpret the whole world around these kids and teenagers and not the family members. And this is what we actually have to be very careful about. I mean, this is it, it, this is the first time I've heard it uh, placed this way, Daniel, and I think it's so important because this is a psychological process. It's it's basically it's manipulation. It's just pure and simple. But I mean, this this can happen. I guess if it wasn't ISIS, this could happen. This could be a boy a boyfriend trying to do the same thing with a girlfriend and pull her away from the family. And but it's it's not healthy and psychologically we we need to we need to attack it like you're saying psychologically not just demonize a religion or throw right. you know not not make this even a religious thing per se as much as a psychological manipulation of another human being absolutely uh, i am very much um saying that for most of these kids it's not about theology it's not about religion in the first place is later on it might come yeah. but it's nevertheless very ideological um, ISIL has a core narrative uh, it's a very easy narrative that says basically Islam is under global attack by the forces of evil the only solution to that is to make a stand and fight back as your individual duty as a Muslim you have to protect your brothers and sisters you have to perform jihad and thirdly the only vision the only future that you that is worthy striving and dying for is uh, to build the caliphate, the perfect mythical home state for all Muslims. And this is what they tell these kids over and over again through videos, pictures, their magazines, individual conversations, sermons, and this ideology, this core narrative. You don't need to be very theological about it. You need not to study the roots of it, where it comes from, to really uh, include it in your life or to, to be persuaded about it. So there are many different aspects that can be attractive to a teen, for a teenager in that narrative, and we need to understand that, and we need to counter the narrative through lived trust and diversity based on our own moral values that, that uh, we need to take them seriously. We need to understand that, first of all, they have the right to choose their religion, and if, if, it's, if it's a certain conservative form of Islam, they have the right to do that too, and they, they have the right to, to, to deserve our support from the families and communities to tackle social issues, to participate in our societies, to, to raise their voices and to be critical about our societies and to improve our societies, but always on the basis of uh, mutual respect, human rights, or whatever other core values are touched by uh, the ISIL narrative. Because any rejection, any escalation, any if if you turn angry toward them, every one of those validate kind of the religious belief that see God, we're doing God's work, and when we do God's work, the dark side will always come against you. And now your parents have become the dark side. Yeah, that's correct. I'm not saying that we we need to cuddle no. Islamists and, and terrorists back into our societies. It is a soft soft approach, absolutely, granted. It's almost like therapy anyway, right? Yeah. Therapy soft and understand, not soft, but it's understanding, it's, it's dealing with the real issue instead of just the fear. 
Right. But we also need to show them that we take our own values seriously and that we are firm on them, that we are consequent on them, uh, that we live out our own values of diversity and pluralism and that this system of giving these freedoms to everyone is, is the strongest and most powerful uh, political system that we have mm. uh, on the world currently. And we need to convince these teenagers. It, we are currently, our communities and families are in a competition over which interpretation of the world is better and even looks cooler. Uh, and ISIL is in many parts winning that competition because we don't actually understand what it's about. We are demonizing these kids. We're demonizing the families. I've created a family network called Mothers for Life, which currently includes 11 countries, almost 200 families from around the world. And, and all of them have been affected by jihadi radicalization in, in their kids. And almost all of them have been demonized by their own communities. And people say, it's your fault. You have raised little terrorists and you have actually um, you have implanted this real religion in them and it's the fault of Islam. So these families get attacked and they, they get blamed and the communities get blamed. And we, we need to understand that these families in most part are alone and helpless against a massively superior and sophisticated and, and filthy rich terrorist organization that directly aims into these communities and families. We, in many countries, we leave these families and communities completely alone in, in their struggle. Oh, and you mentioned in your article that um, when the police come in, we, they end up because they they don't understand always, which is why they need your training and we need to get the message out there. They they create a space where the mothers, for example, the, those in this network, those that that have insight don't dare turn to the police because they don't want to be, you know, ostracized and, and, and blamed, but they also don't know how to handle what's going on with their child. And it's, it's got to be a scary place for somebody who's, who's losing their child to ISIL. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I have to say, over the, the last six years, I've worked with almost 200 families, and I have not met one parent that said to me, I would never cooperate with the police. Mm. Not once. What they say is, I don't know what will happen yeah. when I turn to the police. I'm afraid that they will criminalize me, that, that I will be seen as a subject, that they will arrest my son, and that they won't actually do anything to help me prevent him from becoming arrested. So they are afraid. They don't understand what's going to happen to them. They are afraid of betraying their beloved ones and losing their relationship with them. So there are many fears involved here. But what I do is I provide like a mentor or a bridge, someone that can explain to the families, listen, here's what you need to do. Uh, here's what the authorities need to do. It's their responsibility. This is what is going to happen. And here's, uh, here's a way to help you steer the process. Uh, as a counselor, I would advise the authorities, I would advise the families, I would reestablish trust between communities, families, authorities to figure out how far these families can go alone or with counselors and when they actually need to bring in the authorities because it's actually preventing others from getting hurt. Uh, so I actually, through understanding and explaining, I reestablish trust of these families into the authorities. Powerful, powerful stuff. Daniel Kohler is his name, GERDS.org. GERDS.org. Go check it out if uh, you're worried about your child 
lots of wonderful resources there, publications you can look at, events and services as well, as well as all the information to contact um, Daniel and his and his team there. Also, you can find the connection to Mothers for Life, these mothers that um, that are taking on ISIS. It's a powerful open letter. You got to go read an open letter from mothers to ISIS. Anyway, we appreciate uh, Dr. Daniel Kohler. We will take a break, come back to a little coach's corner on the importance of understanding uh, fellow human beings. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Hey, friends. um, Powerful. It's still a human issue, right? I think we're going to find out behind every major problem in this world, every major conflict, disagreement that we have. It's just basic human issues behind it, including radicalization of our children. And again, amazingly, one of the great resources to impact radicalization are the closest relationships to that person. Uh, we've heard about the 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 um, crazy shootings and uh, events where 11 were injured at Ohio State University it's real and it's going to come back down to human relationships and and our own human psychology to fix it let's not just demonize it by the minute we make it a middle eastern problem or a muslim problem or an islam problem um, we're failing to overlook the fact that this is a human problem and human problems are will eventually hurt humans that's how we fix it human to human so if you have a need. If you see somebody that's hurting and in need, get a hold of GIRDS, G-I-R-D-S dot org and uh, do what you can to help. That's it, folks. We'll take a break. Be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it. You made it to Friday. See? So, what can't you do? I'm serious. If you can get to Friday through a difficult week, some of you, you know, Monday you were thinking, I'm not going to make it. This is just too hard. Including me. Including you. You were sick. You didn't know about your house. Oh, you had to move. And then you almost killed yourself last night, you know, with an outlet. Yes. I'm so glad you're alive. Me too. I, it, you know, I, I kind of brushed it off, but the more I think about it, the more it is like I could have been dead. When you told me the story, I saw your life pass before my eyes. <laughs> Your life. Okay, gotcha. It was incredible. You, uh, do you want to tell the story? I mean, you plugged a plug in. Not and... really. It's pretty embarrassing because apparently to everyone else's common knowledge. Yeah, you don't do that. <laughs> that you don't plug in uh, a fork. Yeah, you a... don't plug in the fork into the outlet <laughs> if there's uh, nothing connected to the other end. So you, you, had a, you were just testing a plug. Just wanted to make sure that it fit in the outlet. Into a live, hot 
electrically charged outlet. Yeah. Then there was a, a bit of a mini explosion. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a tingling down your left arm. Yes. You're not sure if that's a heart attack or if you were electrocuted. I don't know if I didn't really feel anything because of the adrenaline or it, it wasn't really even a tingling. It was just like a, a little a little tiny bit of pressure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. I'm a doctor. You're fine. Yeah. The easiest room in the house to hook up a washer and dryer has been our biggest nightmare. Boy. Again, this is why you need a handyman. Or unless I mean you I'm not saying you're not a handyman. You can say that. Okay, you're on, you I'm are not, not a handyman. I'm not a handyman. I'm not even handy. It's it's a, it's this is where you find out. It's the home that is the real test of manhood. It's not going to war, it's not it's a home. And so far things are not going well. <laughs> but you know what? You're new. You're young at this. You've got nothing but nothing but time ahead of you. Well, unless you keep plugging things into the outlet, then my time is rapidly yeah. retiring. Yeah, you've uh, you got a lot to focus on. We have got a great show today. We'll be talking um, about generational differences and shopping. What, for example, what's the difference between a Gen Xer and a baby boomer? Or a millennial when it comes to purchasing things? Millennials all online. We'll find out. And what do they buy online? Uh, apps, or they buy extras within an app, like on Candy Crush. They, they buy the, they're the ones that keep paying more money for yeah. them. Yeah. We'll find out. Who's more likely to buy, to take an Uber ride? If they could eat somehow through their phones, they would do that. I've seen some producers here that I think would eat my phone because they're so they're so hungry. Well, in their defense, your phone does look pretty tasty. My phone looks delectable. So we will be talking about the differences generationally in our purchasing habits, which is, it's an important thing if you run a business, if you want to, you know, create and meet the needs of your customers, you, you might want to look at them generationally as well. Or if you're shopping for a baby boomer for Christmas, having some idea of what possibly they could want. Yeah. I have no idea. Right. You need to know. Because if you don't get the right thing, it's just not going to work. Well, it, it helps. It doesn't help when you ask and they go, oh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> you might, you might want to get them a gift card, but even the gift card yeah. is going to be different generationally. Do you get them a, like a Costco gift card? No. Or do you get them, you know, a gift card to Amazon? My dad? Hardware store. Hardware store. See, oh yeah, a Home Depot. Spoiler, Dad, I yeah. know you listen sometimes. You're getting a hardware store gift card. Wow. Good don't, luck. Don't tell him the that. The surprise is when he goes to the store and purchases what he wants rather than me guessing. Yeah. And him going, why did I get this, this like, you know, cozy for the iron or something? <laughs> My parents already told me what I'm getting for Christmas. So What are you getting? We're getting a Taipan gift card. Oh, brother. Home decor. Blah. Well... We don't have anything in our home, so it's not. It's pretty appropriate. So that way you can decorate your whole your home. That's beautiful with pans. Yeah, that's a lot from from, from Thailand. Thailand. I've yeah. done a couple radio remotes from that location. Have you? I I heard I was it referred the only to man in the store. <laughs> I heard it referred to once as the Devil's Workshop. Yes, absolutely. It's where the devil hangs out. You stand, you're like, wow, this place is. The devil's obviously deck a home decorator. It's like they pump extra estrogen into the store. <laughs> 
<laughs> just it's weird. That's why I don't know. That's weird. I, I always feel so different. At, at it's the, a completely store. different vibe from the hardware store. Mm. So we'll, we'll we'll get to all of that fun <laughs> straight ahead. Plus, do you know what you have to do? The laws regarding a citizen's arrest. We had a story about a citizen's arrest, and then it prompted us to think, man, what does one do to perform a citizen's arrest? Yeah. It's a big deal. You got to know. You don't want to make a mistake on this. Well, and I don't know. Um, is this is this going to be with Harlan? Yeah. I don't think he's talking about the laws. I think he's just talking about the most effective ways to make a citizen's arrest. Don't you just that, that's by the way. So that, he doesn't get into the legalese of the citizen's yeah. arrest. Well, this is he's a he's a he's a wrestler. He's a wild animal wrestler and tamer. So he actually teaches you, I guess, like the takedown of a citizen's arrest. Right. Cool. Can't you just declare citizens arrest and then go all kung fu? Well, sure, but but you got to a you got to know how to go kung fu, and oh, right. Harlan's going to teach us that. You could get a random blunt instrument, and it'll you know so it'll yeah, it'll but work. Not, but see, if you're not careful, then you become no citizens arrest. Citizens arrest. <laughs> hey, I said citizens arrest. <laughs> I declared. Hey, get back here. It's like the police. All they have to do is yell police, and they can bash That's your right. door open. Right now, you need to you need to. You need well, to watch, Har- it, listen to Harlan. If you have the right warrant, it's no knock. You just kick the door in. That's right. I have a piece of paper. I, uh, I was at a basketball game last night and watched, just stood behind a, sat behind a police officer pretty much the entire time and just kept looking. Every time he'd stand up, I'd look at his belt. Mm. And he had more gadgets on that belt. Than Batman had on his? Uh-huh. And then another cop Did came. Did he have shark repellent? Because Batman had I shark repellent. I don't know, repellent. but he had something that I don't know what it was. But uh, And then every cop has a different set of tools on their belt. Yeah. Like some have more ammo, mm-hmm. apparently. Right. Well, you know. And others, you know, carry. A bigger clip. A bigger clip. And some don't want any of that or a taser or a gun. They just want a flashlight. Yeah. Maybe it's a trick flashlight. Maybe it's a taser light. A taser light. Mm. You don't know. Didn't the Hardy boys or the Hardy brothers carry a flashlight? Yeah. That was how they solved all their mysteries. Well, it's all you need is a flashlight. And deductive reasoning. Well, and a paper clip. Huh, so you my... can get in a door. You know. Because they're not old in. enough to no. have the credit cards. Yeah. No. And they didn't have car keys either. Uh, we'll also be talking about goat yoga and, uh, you know, y- yoga. Goat Yoga. Yo yoga. Sorry. He like keeps thinking Yoda. Yo yo ma, but yeah. yo yoga. Yo yo goat yo yoga. Uh, all that fun, but first let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? During a stop on a victory tour after winning the presidency, Donald Trump spent time reflecting on the campaign. At a speech in Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Ohio, Trump said, We did have a lot of fun fighting Hillary, didn't we? The crowd responded with chants of, Lock her up, which became a common refrain at rallies throughout the campaign. Since winning the election, Trump and his staffers have indicated that they don't intend on pursuing any further action against Clinton, despite her frequent campaign promises to do so. The White House and the Pentagon both announced their support for a measure requiring women to register for the military draft, multiple outlets reported on Thursday afternoon. The White House has previously remained neutral on the issue, but took an issue with its latest statement, making Obama the first president to back a universal draft since uh, Jimmy Carter. The House is set to vote Friday on a defense bill that will likely remove the Senate-approved provision requiring women to register for the draft, rendering Obama's announcement symbolic. 
Chris Christie has expressed President-elect Donald Trump his interest in the job of Republican National Committee Chairman, Politico reported on Thursday. The New Jersey governor reportedly told the senior members of the Trump transition team that he would like the gig. And finally... Yes? Um... This is a funny little story about a little baby. Um, a young baby bursts into tears every time his straight-faced father laughs after only hearing the noise for the first time in, <laughs> at five months old. Mitch Simmons, 24, who is known for being tough to get a giggle out of, was watching his five-month-old son, Matthew Simmons, pull funny faces earlier this month when he burst out laughing. But Matthew's response came as a massive shock to Mitch and his fiance as their little boy started to cry. Now every single time Mitch laughs, Matthew's little lip drops and he starts to cry it is so weird oh wow so i just was watching it and he what do literally, you do with that he literally just the the man starts laughing laughing and then the the baby just cries and cries and cries and then as soon as the man stops laughing the baby's fine and he <laughs> smiles and it's like is it that bad <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> aren't kids quirky he'll grow out of that I eventually sure he'll, so. i mean by 10 12 years from now that kid will be ignoring his father entirely yeah, that's true. Unless, of course, when he goes on his first date, his dad starts laughing and then he starts crying and it's awkward. It's so, it's so true. Oh, parenting. Isn't it fantastic? Thank you, Sadie. Um, okay, so much to get to. Let's let's start with the citizen's arrest because I think a lot of you are worried about that. You know, earlier this week, we talked about a group of neighbors that banded together to perform a citizen's arrest and you, uh, you may be aware that there are laws regarding citizens' arrest, but what you may not know is how to properly perform one. Here to share with us the three most effective ways to uh, pull off a citizens' arrest is our wild wrestler and tamer, Harlan J. Hickam. There are really only three ways to effectively make a citizens' arrest. Number one, this advice is best for those of you in the southern states who carry a rope at all times. And when the perp becomes unruly and starts to thrash around you, you want to lasso him or her. We don't discriminate in our hypotheticals by throwing a loop of the lariat around the perp's neck. And when you reach the perp, pick it up and flip it onto its side. And once he or she is on the ground, tie three of its legs together with a piggin string and then you want to tie two wraps in a hooey, otherwise known as a wrap and a slap. That'll restrain the perp until the police arrive. Number two, if you're from the deep south and your perp's a biter, just take out your roll of duct tape and muzzle his mouth. If the perp gets his jaws around you in the process, pull out your screwdrivers and place them laterally across the mouth near the back of the throat and then pry the jaws apart. Have a friend hold the perp's neck and head firmly in position from behind to prevent a second bite once released. And number three, and this is the easiest and least dangerous method, is to try and subdue the perp by making low, calm, and sustained moans. Like this. This will ground the perp and oftentimes even induce sleeping. Well, there you have it, folks. The three ways to make a citizen's arrest. I'll be back next time to teach you how to handle another group of pesky critters, in-laws. <laughs> wow. He went all zen on us for a moment there. He he sounded a little sick, too. 
Yeah, he's, I think he's under the weather. Hmm. He's got the bayou flu. So uh, Lasso, Lasso the perp. Lasso the perp. And uh, tie, a, a, what was it, a rap and a slap? Yeah, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, rap and a slap. Or a hooey something or yeah, other. Yeah, a hooey. Um, then he said to duct tape their mouth shut mm-hmm. uh, if they're if they're a biter. And if they are, you want to make sure to pull out your screwdrivers and pry open their jaws. I think he's thinking of like a gator. I I think he clearly said if you're making a citizen's arrest. How do you know if they're a biter? Well, if they bite you. Well, you know, with the bite, won't it be – then it's beyond the This point. is assuming that these people walk around with their duct tape and screwdrivers and a, las- a rope for a lasso. Well, are you a citizen or aren't you? Well, in the southern states, you're probably not if you don't carry those things. Well, I appreciate Harlan's work. It it uh, it seems like some people just need to know the laws, though. You know, like when... well, that's not really his field. No, I guess that's true. He's a tamer. Yeah. Well, there you have it. And what? when you've got a biter on your hands, you don't really oh. have time to worry about the no. laws. No, believe me. If I had a dollar for every time I've had a biter, um. Crazy story coming out of uh, London, of course. Uh, Twickenham, Twickenham. I've even been there, by the way. Local police responded to a man hurling bricks from a roof, but you won't believe what he was demanding. So as he's throwing br- bricks off of the roof of his Twickenham home near West London, uh, he's demanding chocolate. Video from the scene shows a man demanding police bring him chocolate in negotiations that went on for hours. Officers were called shortly after 5 a.m. on Saturday and found a man in his 30s with a head injury. I think that might explain some of this. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's been around Harlan. <laughs> Officers were called shortly after 5, and after they arrived, the man climbed on the roof of a building and started throwing objects off. Neighbors reported windows had been smashed and said that they they could not leave the area. A woman in the area tweeted, going on six hours and there's a man still chucking bricks from our roof. Four smashed windows and still not allowed to leave. So we happen, we just so happen today to have some audio from the scene of the brick thrower. Oh, apparently... We're having some alien interference. Yeah. Apparently, um, we're not going to be able to listen to that audio because of some alien interference. That is too bad. I would have loved to have heard that. But I do know as I read the text of the transcription, there was a line thrown out, Hey, break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Crash brick through the window. I think he's going to be the new spokesman for Kit Kat. Is he? Yeah. That's great. See, the neat thing about these companies, they don't waste a minute. Once they get once they get the right spokesperson, they're good to go. Uh, interesting stuff. Man, I'm pretty sure the head injury's got something to do with it. Again, that's the doctor in me. We will uh, come back. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Denise Dolliff about what customers actually want and what they want by generation. Does a Gen Xer want something different than a millennial when they go shopping? Interesting research out of Wharton. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the best you can be. We'll be right back. (music) 
One of the more popular topics that we talk about in today's world is the difference between generations, between baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, Gen Y. There are differences, and there's some similarities as well. One similarity that each generation has is the love of the holiday season. And uh, the difference is, though, you know, how they shop, where they might spend their money around Christmas time. Denise Dolliff uh, joins us. She's research director at Wharton School's Baker Retailing Center and is here with us to discuss her research on how different generations shop differently and how uh, we might uh, learn a lot about, um, you know, what to buy, what not to buy, what to watch out for by just understanding some very basic generational differences. Denise Dolliff, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such an interesting subject because... Uh, you know, you don't want to just categorize people by their generation. But I know one of your ideas is you, you, you want to know how to reach these generations and and see if there are differences. Talk to us about the research you've been doing and um, and what you've been finding. Sure. So, yeah, to your point, you don't want to stereotype uh, generations and say that everybody behaves the same way. But, you know, knowing these bigger patterns they are really helpful to know for retailers to think about their strategies, how to reach different um, customers. So we teamed up with the NPD Group, um, which is a market research company that has a lot of uh, data on retail transactions. And they actually have a really interesting data set from people, uh, all their receipts of online and offline shopping. So. Mm. There is a panel of people, I think it's about 16 or more thousand people, that keep track of all their expenses. Um, They have an app. They take pictures of their receipts and send them in. And in addition, there are people that have agreed to have their inboxes of their email scanned for receipts. So we have a very comprehensive data set of people's. It's pretty much like a 360 view of people's shopping behavior. Yeah. So... As a retailer, of course, you only have your own data, but this gives you data of a person of all their shopping. So that's what we were looking at. And so we were looking at the different patterns by generation. Um, The millennials, we actually split into two groups, younger millennials and older millennials, and we had Gen X and the boomers. And we, we did see some... Uh, distinct patterns. Uh, some can be explained by your interests during a certain life stage, such as when you have kids or, you know, it, it, an interesting finding was that younger generations, like their expenses went more to kids versus boomers. They spent more of their money instead of kids on pets. Oh, really? So, interesting. Yeah. I would have, oh, that's interesting. I would have thought you'd spend it on travel, on I don't know. That's interesting. Yes. Pets. Huh. We see that, too. But just in terms of, you know, sort of pets replace babies mm-hmm. at yeah. a later uh, uh, stage in life. So, yeah, we, we found some interesting patterns for each uh, generation. This is – oh, man, I'm assuming that um, the big, you know, merchant companies are loving this because this gives a, kind of an inside track – as to who's buying what and where. What were some of the trends that you saw, I guess, when it comes to just to uh, to some of the, let's say start, I guess, with millennials. How, how are millennials different than baby boomers? Yeah, so everybody, of course, is talking about millennials these days. Uh, 
And it was a, a, a an age group that's of great interest to us as well. So what we found was that, first of all, one distinct feature is that millennials, of course, they are very tech-savvy. They, they grew up with technology and apps. So they actually spent more of their money on 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 services actually new services that are app driven meaning services like uber and lyft all these personal transportation services or food delivery services that's hmm. another uh, big thing for millennials and of course when boomers grew up we didn't have food delivery uh, <laughs> apps like seamless or grubhub and they're you know, coming up uh, everywhere. That that was one thing. Uh, then also there, um, we talked earlier about retailers' marketing strategies. So they also respond really well to retailers that are catering to them, like Victoria's Secret or Sephora, that has a very good uh, online and mobile strategy. So we see them, uh, you know, spending more, relatively more of their money um, there as well. Mm. And one really, really interesting finding is, which is so distinct, is that millennials spend a much higher portion of their expenses on gift cards. And, really? Uh, and that's in certain in, in channels like uh, mass merchants like uh, Target and Walmart, but also convenience stores and warehouse clubs. So that's a really distinct wow. finding. and. You so, can, so if you're so, going to buy your millennial a gift card, you really, I guess, you buy them convenience stores, uh, on you know, I guess, merchant, Target kind of stores, or Costco. Well, actually, now they, I don't know whether you have seen like these. They call them gift malls. So when you go to a grocery store, you yeah. can, you can also buy uh, gift cards, not just for that grocery store or for that convenience store but also for restaurants mm-hmm. and for Amazon and for Netflix and all kinds of other services and, and, and stores. So in those channels, we saw that millennials spend much more money on gift cards. And you can, I was actually thinking about, you know, what might be driving this. And, you know, people always say uh, millennials are so convenient, they don't plan ahead. So obviously gift cards are a really easy buy. It's instant gratification. Now with e-gift cards, that's even easier. And this year, thinking of Christmas is falling on a Sunday, so stores will be closed earlier probably on Saturday. So buying an e-gift card, I would think that, that this year it will even uh, go up. Hmm. But an, another thing is also you don't waste uh, money pretty much with gift cards because or less money than an unwanted gift. If you give something uh, like a, a gift that somebody doesn't want, you know, it's a loss for everybody. You know, I'm unhappy as the giver that I didn't pick the right thing for you. And the the person that received the gift is unhappy about the gift, has to return it. So a gift card is a, the way more efficient choice. So true. Is it uh, do do uh, baby boomers like gift cards, and if they do, what what would they? Where would they want to spend their money? Well, actually, gift cards have been popular, of course, across the board. We have seen a lot of growth over the last few years, and they're actually the number one uh, wanted uh, Chris or holiday gift. So, yes, absolutely. If you give boomers a gift card, they will be as happy. <laughs> mm. And 
well, what what we have seen the boomer profile is they they like stores that are more traditional that have also moved from let's say a department stores like Macy's and Kohl's and and Costco and those stores that now are multi-channel retailers where you can also buy online. Um, boomers also they 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 value. They value value. Right. <laughs> so any of the formats like warehouse clubs, off-price retail, they actually shop across categories there, which indicates that they like the the format and the you know the value proposition. But on the other hand, we also see that they are spending more on restaurants, so they indulge selectively apparently. So any experiences um, would probably be a nice gift. Any you know even travels. Maybe and in general, we see a trend toward people liking experiences. So think of maybe a gift certificate for spas or for, you know, like a show or um, maybe a, a trip or something like that. Yeah, that's. Um, I, I did you hear the big? I'm sure you did because it's your industry and your focus. The big uh, success that Amazon had. I guess 31 percent of the online shopping on. Um, on this Monday, Cyber Monday, went through Amazon. Do, do you sense that the the box stores and some of the kind of more traditional stores, they, if they they have they have to get online or their days are numbered? Is that the future, or where where do you see the future going between online and just the traditional walk in the front door store? I mean, pretty much these days, everything is multi-channel. Even if people don't buy. Oh, uh, let's say even if peop- if the the portion of online purchases is still a fraction of offline, the online channel is so important for information research upfront. Most people that buy at an offline store do research upfront online or on their mobile phones or even in the store. You know, while you're selecting between maybe two options, you're checking your mobile for more information, True, for yeah. reviews, for all of that. So it's definitely important for even for smaller businesses to have an online presence. It doesn't mean that you have to necessarily sell everything online. Um, but you definitely for the information search for visual presentation or for even for inspiration and thinking of the holidays making gift suggestions, you know, what to give your, you know, parents or your daughter or, you know, you can You've probably seen that in emails when people make suggestions what to give, you know, such and such person and these per- this person on your list. So having being on multi-channel is definitely important. Hmm. And again, you can be clever about, you know, how to fill, fulfill maybe online orders. Um, but yeah, Amazon, I mean, to your point, everybody's thinking about an Amazon strategy, you know, and I always say you have to have something that that differentiates you. You can't compete only on price if you offer the very same thing that Amazon offers. And that's what's amazing, too, um, about all this technology is you can now price check and price match, and you can do it while I'm standing in your store. I can go see what this exact product costs at the store right down the mall. That's right. And, And speaking of stores, and to my point of differentiation, of course, the big advantage that 
that retailers with an offline presence have is their store associates. So they can provide advice. Uh, they can build a customer relationship. They can tell me when I walk in the store or they can even text me before I come and say, hey, we got like your, you know, something in that I think you would like. So it's this personal connection that they um, that they can provide that Amazon cannot provide online. Hmm. So thinking in a smart way about, you know, how can you be different? What kinds of services can you maybe offer to also take a, a customer's focus off the price? You know, if if it's all about the price, then you probably cannot win in the long right. term against somebody like Amazon. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they can just ship it straight from the factory. Um, exactly. And uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. And when we come back, Denise, I want to talk about – you mentioned in your article the fact that people – there are some stores now where you can find the prices online, but go try them on. Some people still want to try on some of this stuff. Uh, Mm -hmm. before they purchase it. So we'll come back and talk about that. I also want to find out what the retailers are thinking. They must love the work you're doing there at um, Wharton Wharton School of uh, Wharton School Baker Retailing Center, um, where you're trying to gather all the information you can about purchasing habits. Powerful information, folks. It, uh, It helps all of us. It'll help probably help Santa as well. We will take a break more with Denise Dolloff when we come back. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us, Denise Dolliff, who is the research director of the Wharton School's Baker Retailing Center, where she is responsible for the center's knowledge creation and dissemination initiatives. Uh, her background is a mix of qualitative and quantitative market and academic research, consulting, publishing, and teaching. And before joining the Baker Retailing Center, Denise worked in Wharton's executive education division. And uh, we're honored to have you on the show. Denise, thank you. Thanks for having me. What uh, was there anything in the study? You performed the study on was it sixteen thousand people? What what a great research uh, group that are willing to give you access to their emails um, and also their credit card receipts. Um, and I know it's all protected and they're secure. What was there anything that just absolutely surprised you, shocked you in the research? Well, maybe not shocking. Like I thought the gift card um, result was really interesting because it was so uh, distinct. Another thing about Generation X, uh, I'm Generation X, and of course you yeah. always think like, you know, how does my own generation behave? There wasn't, you know, it, it's sort of the sandwich uh, generation between the boomers and Gen X. But one interesting thing was that online we saw a, a very uh, big spike for ordering like online, uh, like pictures and paper products, you know, thinking of the holidays, you know, the, the holiday cards and, and photo calendars that you give to family. That huh. seems to be a Generation X kind of thing. Interesting. Um, and another thing about the boomers, I mentioned earlier that they are, that we are seeing like a reflection of their, what they are used to from the offline world, like retailers that they are familiar with, like department stores from Saks to Macy's to Kohl's to Costco. But 
but also the the brand that really uh, sticks out there is QVC. Really, uh, for boomers, boomers are still uh, doing the uh, you know the the QVC television purchasing. Yes, uh, apparently, Interesting. <laughs> according to the data. Yeah. That's why it's good to have like so much transparency. Another interesting thing, actually, that I recently have observed, um, just look like you know, just looking at the retail press, we found that department stores are actually also a Generation X kind of thing. They really uh, like that format, um, and millennials selectively. So millennials with kids actually are not tending so much to department stores. They probably buy more with mass merchants. But what they do buy if is when they have kids, they buy appliances more in with in department stores. Um, and now I've also seen they and they they tended to buy at least in the past uh, kids uh, supplies like any apparel and toys more with mass merchants hmm. and less than department stores. Also, maybe because there isn't as much offering. Yeah. And J C Penney actually has responded to this. They have introduced appliances. Um, and are now also increasing the kids category, which is really interesting, which is so much in line with our research, mm. because it shows actually there was like a little bit of a gap and or let's uh, word it as an opportunity for department stores. And JCPenney seems to be right on that trend. Oh, wow. So because so, if department stores aren't careful, then these kind of the big box retailers might be stealing Gen Xers and or, Gen, or millennials with children. Um, is it what, where do you predict this goes in the future? What what are you seeing fifteen years from now? Because it's it seems interesting that if millennials continue and the younger generations follow some of the trends of millennials, then uh, maybe department stores and QVC might not be around. Fifteen years, by the way, is a lot in retail where the pace has accelerated True. so much. So to predict anything uh, for that period of time is hard. But uh, definitely to your point, uh, the Generation X and Z will influence future shopping behavior. And I think there will be, um, we will see a lot, let's say you have to be more specific and more selective to offer something in your offline stores that is really attractive to your target audience. So it needs to be, you know, the right experience, the right product. It might be right-sizing your stores. Maybe you have to shrink your, you know, the bigger stores into smaller formats. And, and you might not have to stock everything at the store, but be more of a showroom, at least mm. selectively, f- for some items. Um, and, you know, we have seen that with some of the... The, the retailers that used to be purely online, like Bonobos, the, you know, the, the menswear um, apparel retailer, they started online and now they have, they realize people still want to try and touch and feel. So they have these, what they call the guide shops, which are small offline stores. They don't stock any inventory, but they have a sample of every style and every color and every size. So you can go to the store, try on the product, and then order it to be shipped to your home. So those kinds of models like smart smart retailing, um, thinking about your costs and people's, um, what people actually, 
how people want to like uh, want to shop, I think that will be the future of retailing. And you see, Amazon isn't Amazon are creating brick and mortar stores as well, right? Yeah, because they also realize there is some there is actually value to offline store stores. And in Amazon's case, it's of course you know they have the bookstores now to you know to browse and to access reviews. Um, but they're also thinking about using stores as pickup points for, you know, fresh groceries that you order online and can conveniently pick up. Hmm. I think that's I, I, I thought that's such an interesting model. And and then uh, I guess there's going to be I mean, the millennials are the ages, I guess, 18 to 34. But, you know, 10 years from now, there will be the next generation. And any insight into what that generation might be leaning toward? Well, since they grew up with technology, they will definitely that will dominate their their future expectations. Um, so they will, and uh, you know, as their kids will be growing, uh, their their behavior might change. So, for example, we also see millennials really like to go out and dining, um, and so millennials and, and hanging out with friends and family. Um, and millennials with kids as their kids grow up. So that might be, you know, they might have even more time for those kinds of mm. things. Um, definitely a convenience-oriented uh, generation. So thinking about how to make millennials' lives easier, uh, that will always resonate with with that segment. Um, and then also thinking about social media, they're way more... Uh, vocal, they share their experiences, they want to, you know, inspire people and share about their lives. And they're into so, it. They're, that, that's a big thing, too, right? They're into the experience. And and so, you know, maybe doing, uh, uh, having a trip or a vacation or something that is more memorable might be more valuable to them than just a car or a thing. They can Uber everywhere. They don't need to spend their money on a car. Absolutely. So it's we see we definitely see the trend away from you know material goods to experiences. To your point about memories, but also uh, not to underestimate is to because you can share it uh, online, and mm-hmm. you know it's cool to have this trip or the spa experience or I don't know like a fun fitness class or whatever it might be that you want to share on social media. But uh, I, I have heard people say, you know, why go to that if you if you don't have a picture to post on social media? <laughs> so in some ways, uh, social media might already influence people's choices in their in their daily offline lives. That's true, huh? Well, I appreciate your insight, and uh, really, I think I think you've helped us. You've helped us figure out what we need to buy or at least how we need to be thinking about some of these differences. Denise Dolliff, again, thank you for all your time, your insights. And we uh, we suggest the article, How Millennials, Gen Xers, and Baby Boomers Shop Differently. You can find it at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Just look it up. How Millennials, Gen Xers, and Baby Boomers Shop Differently. Might give you some fun insight into how to go about your own Christmas shopping. We will take a break, come back, and uh, do a little coaching corner as well as some more uh, crazy stories, including I think we will finally get to goat yoga. You won't want to miss it, folks. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends. Again, that's Yoda. Yo, 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 Yoda. That's what we're talking about, right? No. We're talking about yoga. Yoga. I think I think you can't hear me very well. What are you getting at? Nothing. Don't want to bring that up. That's a great song, though. May the force be your guide. Yeah, yeah, yo, Yoda. Uh, goat yoga. A lot of people, you know, love yoga, and uh, ordinary yoga can feel complicated enough sometimes, you know, with all the focus on breathing and the search for an intention that many yoga instructors ask students to reach deep within themselves to find. I have been telling myself that the one thing I've been missing from yoga is goats. You've been saying that to yourself? For years. Really? Yeah. Well, have I got an answer for you? All right. Goat yoga. It's hot. It's the new thing. Uh, (laughs) Goat has all the same benefits of yoga. Goat yoga does. Focusing on breathing, intention, all that. Plus a half a dozen goats. You can't you can't have more fun than this. Mostly, by the way, miniature goats, all of them completely accustomed to people and our deeply strange habits. They wander around with their collars and name tags looking for affection or a bit of grassy kibble. You know, many yogis are vegetarians, so they usually have some vegetarian offering for these goats. But this whole thing started with a birthday party for some kids, some six-year-old kids. And a yoga, instructor, a yoga instructor had this idea that, hey, maybe if a way to get the kids to do yoga would be if I brought some little baby kids around. So it's kids doing yoga with kids. Okay. Yeah. And so there you have it. Out of Oregon, by the way. Right. <laughs> it would take place in Oregon. Yeah. Lainey Morse uh, was the founder of goat yoga. And she just, you know, it's 70 miles south of Portland. She had the kids come over. Didn't she also come up with Gogurt? Uh, I think that's, no, Goatgurt. Oh, Goatgurt. Okay. Those are two products that frequently yeah. get mixed up. Gogurt took off uh, selling off the shelves. Goatgurt. Don't they love those little uh, plastic packages of, of goat gurt? Don't the yeah, goats love it? Yeah, but that's not actually what goat gurt is. What is it? It's it's the gurt of a goat. Oh, Package. I was thinking it was... Yeah. No, no, it's not yogurt. yogurt. No, no. There's no such okay. thing as goat yogurt. That's mm. gross. It's goat gurt. It didn't sell as well. Anyway, if you want to, we'll, we'll post a video of uh, the, the cute goats. It's It's just... We've had a lot of stories lately about goats. The lady that dresses her goat up like a duck. We had Mm -hmm. that story yesterday. Now you can dress your your goat up like a duck and, you know, get in the downward-facing dog position. That sounds like a psychedelic trip right there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's – the fun thing about it is there's so many different poses. You know, there's the lotus position. The goatus. Now there's the goatus. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't they have a goat president too? Probably. I think his code name is Gotus. Yeah, yeah. There's POTUS, Flotus, Scotus, and if the first president, if the first, if the president had a f- goat, it would be the first goat. 
it would be Fagotis. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Check check the White House on that. Um, what if you had to pick a? If you had to pick your favorite, do you do yoga? Do you know much about yoga? I don't. Um, you know, because there never have been goats involved, so I've never had that much interest in it. Okay. There's there's some great positions um, that you can try, uh, seated or standing, and it's really neat when you see a goat standing on its hind legs, mm-hmm. doing some of these poses. You know, um, it's it's life changing. You know, they also like to golf. They never like to be late for go tea time. <laughs> no, it seems like you're making light of this. No, because these are real things. No, very, very real things. Goat cheese. Have you ever had goat cheese? Oh, I love goat cheese. Yeah. There's the upward facing goat. There's the downward facing goat. There's the right. Uh, there's the cat pose goat. The easy plow goat pose. Half moon goat pose. Pigeon pose with a goat. You know, what do you call a... Uh... A really reliable goat. I don't know what. A go-to goat. Okay. You're not taking this seriously. There's the half goat cobra pose. (sighs) Folks, this is stuff you don't get on any other show. Empty news, we call it. For the Matt Townsend Show. News. We'll take a break. We'll be back. More ideas, more information to help make it through Friday. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Friday to you. Top of the morning to you. You made it. You made it through the wonderful week. You know, at the beginning, you thought you couldn't do it. I can do another one of these. When's Christmas? Well, plenty of time. However, it's Friday, and Friday can only mean a few things on this show. It means uh, we will be talking movies. It also means, of course, BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what games, what fun they'll be doing and dealing with this weekend. Also, Hero Stories plus Exploding Toilets. We'll get into that. Mm. You haven't lived till you've lived through an exploding toilet. I haven't had an exploding toilet, but I did just have an exploding outlet last night. Well, I hear that your exploding outlet issue was a user problem. If you ask everybody but me, that is correct. <laughs> the experts say that you shouldn't be placing uh, a plug into a charged electrical outlet if the plug is not connected to anything except your hand. Luckily, I wasn't holding the end of it. Yeah. Luckily, it wasn't in your mouth because I know you you were thinking like, hey, maybe I ought to put this other end in my mouth. You were changing out a cord, a plug on your dryer unit, mm-hmm. and you thought, hey, I just want to test it to make sure it fits before I actually attach it to the unit, the dryer unit. 
And so you plug it in. And what happened? Um, it There was some feedback. I got a little feedback. <laughs> was there a feedback loop? Did you get a loop of electricity? It was – let's say it was – you know, you, there's a lot of talk about positive and negative in mm-hmm. charging. Yeah. Let's just say it was negative feedback. What happened to your eyebrows? Um, they used to be here. Yeah, they, they, I remember. You and had I'm hoping them. they'll be back. <laughs> Yesterday, you had eyebrows and eyelashes. Those were the only things that were keeping me warm this winter. <laughs> what did your wife say when she saw the lights flicker and you scream like... She was at Home Depot buying more stuff, and she came home, and I was essentially in the corner in, a, in the fetal position. <laughs> Shaking? That sounds traumatic. I'm, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I feel, I, I feel your pain. I've done many a thing like that. One time I, we were taking out – I thought I would just take out our dishwasher. Mm-hmm. Just, I was going to just remove it because how hard could that be? I'm sure you just move a few screws and unplug it. Well, it was harder than that. So I just cut, I just cut a cord. I was just going to cut this cord. Just cut it. And the same thing happened. But you lost your sideburns. Yeah. I lost the hair on my back. Oh. Electrolysis. It you'll, actually, never, you'll never get them back. Yeah. I've learned never do home never do home fixer-upper jobs with your shirt off. And uh, oiled up. Yeah. Right after you've been outside sun tanning. Never do that. All that fun ahead, folks. Uh, so much to talk about. Plus, of course, the hero story, and we'll wrap up the week for you. It's it's a good it's a good week. Life is good, and the goal of the show is to help you see the good in life. We'll get to all that fun, but first, let's get to the headlines. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country, and Sadie Nielsen is here to help us with that. Sadie, what's up? The air traffic controller who last spoke with the pilot of Lamia Flight 2933 before the plane crashed told her colleagues she did everything she could to keep the flight's occupants alive. I can affirm with absolute certainty that, for my part, I did what was humanly possible and technically required to preserve the lives of these users of air transport. Yaneth Molina wrote an email to fellow air traffic controllers. Unfortunately, my efforts were unfruitful because of the reasons that you all know. The plane crashed Monday night in Colombia, killing more than 70 people, including members of the Brazilian soccer team. Halima Aden, a 19-year-old St. Cloud State University freshman, walked across the Miss Minnesota USA pageant stage Saturday night draped from head to toe in a blue embroidered burkini and a bright yellow headscarf. During the two-day pageant, Aden showed her only her face, making her the first contestant to wear a hijab and a burkini in the pageant. Aden said she was bullied for wearing her hijab growing up and wanted to show people that she, this was that she was proud of her religion and culture. Aden, who reached the semifinals, said taking part in the pageant was intended to inspire more people to be open-minded and accepting. An unmanned Russian spacecraft bringing 2.5 tons of supplies to the International Space Station was lost shortly after liftoff from Kazakhstan on Thursday. The cargo ship, the ISS Progress 65, launched Thursday at 8.51 p.m. on the Russian-built rocket, but just over six minutes into the launch, the data transmission from the spacecraft was lost. Radar stations in Russia were unable to detect the cargo vehicle on its expected path into orbit. Most of the fragments of the spacecraft burned in the dense atmosphere, but it is possible some of the debris fell to the Earth's surface. And finally... Yes, ma'am? 
Here's an interesting criminal story. Craig Buckner, 38, posed with his four-year-old macaw, macaw. When, he, when he was booked into Washington County Jail on Monday. He brought the bird to court not knowing he was going to be arrested for violating the terms of his release. Arg. As Buckner appeared in court, his parrot was left waiting patiently on a tree branch outside. So when Buckner of Washington County, Oregon, was cuffed, he told the court his bird was outside and he was allowed to retrieve it. They took the animal inside where one of the deputies fed the bird some peanuts and then they took booking photos, some with and without the macaw. (laughs) The bird was later collected by one of Buckner's friends. He was held on a $10,000 bail. Seems like if you were a criminal, the last thing you would want is a parrot that can repeat some of yeah. the illegal things that you've done and said. Book him, Dano. He's guilty. Yeah, you wouldn't want the parrot, you know, ta- talking. He did it in the library with a candlestick. <laughs> Shut <Huh>? up, Polly. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh, but that's a great point. He. Uh, it sounds like the police were nice and allowed this to turn into a fun moment. Yeah. They were very kind. Actually, one of the officers went outside to try to retrieve the bird herself, and the bird wouldn't come down. And so as soon as the Mr. Buckner came out, oh, yeah. um, I'll, he, I'll go get it. The bird stepped right on to his shoulders and came right inside. So apparently they're good buddies. That may have been a really good trick Yeah, to get out of there. Hey, my parrot's out front. I just, I'll go get it and bring it right back in. <laughs> okay, Mr. Buckner. Wow. Thank you, Sadie. Again, we're not trying to give ideas to elude police, but we just did. Breaking news. Yes. Britney Spears is now constitutionally eligible to be president of the United States. Finally. She's 35 today. Wow. Yeah. We're not going there, are we? What? No, I'm just saying she she's constitutionally eligible to be president. Wow. What's happening with this country? <laughs> That we would allow her to reach the age of 35. Yeah, we tried. Well, she tried. <laughs> yeah, she, she tried. Really hard. Not to. Wow, that's crazy. Hmm. Congratulations hmm. to Britney Spears, 35-year-old young rock superstar. More, more pop than rock. Yeah, though. yeah. It's she's fine. pop. More, more like karaoke than hey, actual music. You mean Carrie Underwood? No, karaoke. You just kind of sing along to the music. And then in many cases, she's not even singing. She's just sort of lip syncing. So, Yeah. It's hard to do aerobics and sing at the same time. True dat. That's, that's a great Most of these point. concerts end up being is it's just aerobics for the Have you the tried uh, goat, aer- goat yoga? I have not. I was going to say, have you tried goat? Um, have I tried goat? Have you tried goat gert? No. <laughs> I've had goat cheese. Ah, yes, goat cheese. Mm. That's the only goat-related product I believe I have. Have you ever milked a goat? No. I've, I have milked a goat. Have you? For a summer. Okay. Hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, I think they've got a, a new campaign that's coming out, too, and it's uh, called Goat Milk. Yeah. Goat milk? Is that how you say it? With a question mark? Yeah, question mark. Goat milk? Goat milk. I think it's got milk. I think. Mm. Not if you're in Sweden. Might just be a typo. Goat, got. Whatever. Just an A. Hey, speaking of um, explosions, Florida. (laughs) Why are you looking at me? I don't know, because I wasn't speaking about explosions. (laughs) I was was wondering if anyone listens to me That's how you sort of just force a transition. 
Yeah. Speaking of what you were talking about. Speaking of explosions and toilets, a Florida librarian is now suing a school after a toilet explodes and injures her leg. Wow. Ah. Oh. That's like that's like every toilet exploding. Yeah. Boy. And someone was washing their hands. Yes. Well, you know, hygiene. It's good. Just as the toilet's exploding, a former librarian is suing the city of Tarpon Springs after a toilet at the elementary school exploded. Uh, the Tampa Bay Times reports Ann Burson was at Tarpon Springs Fundamental Elementary when she heard a loud explosion and noticed a toilet had exploded in the woman's restroom while maintenance workers were doing um, some work on the school water lines. Later that day, Burson used the woman's restroom and was injured in her leg after another toilet exploded while washing her hands. She huh. suffered contusions, severe contusions on, on her leg that resulted in a dark, gouging scar. Hmm. And apparently, exploding toilets are a common thing. I mean, it's happening everywhere. Was she telling the truth or was she late to work? Why would you question that? What do you mean? Well, you guys were just saying yesterday that a very similar story happened, but it was a woman who had accidentally shot herself. Well, yeah. There was a a story of a woman who discharged her concealed carry weapon and shot the toilet, and part of it exploded and shrapnel hit her leg, and so she blamed it on something else, not the fact that she shot her gun off. Wasn't there a show, wasn't there a song, I mean, um, called I Shot the Sheriff? Yeah. What would... Just wondering. How does that apply? I don't know. Right? Okay. He said she shot the toilet. She shot the toilet. I shot the sheriff. Yeah. Okay. It's like call the sheriff. Yeah. So I just shot the toilet. In this case, plumbers are messing with water pressure. And See, so that one was a, that was somebody yeah. you know cleaning their gun while they're on the toilet and blow up the toilet. <laughs> this apparently there's a problem going around the country where uh, of there's a flush mate. There's a there's a a piece. I don't know what you call it. A part of it's a flushing system that is a high-pressure flushing system that is put in a lot of toilets, and they've recalled oh. about 3 million of these devices of these. because they're exploding. 300 explosions have taken place, 14 injuries. Wow. Flushmate. Isn't this the uh, – I thought this was the old faithful brand of toilets. Oh. They might want to change their name. <laughs> old faithful? Yeah. Old faithful toilets. Just on principle alone. No, I think it's I, – I don't think – this is this is Flushmate as the company. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was the old faithful toilet. No, 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 no. They make the mechanism in the tank that makes yeah. the Yeah, and it's a high function. pressure and I guess it's it's got a little – Yeah. It, it's got a problem. Yeah. <laughs> toilets are exploding everywhere. So uh, be careful. Wow. Usually these are in public kind of toilets because those are the only people that could afford putting an explosive device – I mean, you could always put your your Samsung Note Phone. 7 yeah. in there. Right. Then you'll hear this sound. But they don't... You're fired. They don't really explode. They, don't explode. they just kind of incinerate. Yeah. Yeah. So would you rather have your toilet incinerate or explode? Mm. That's a tough one. I'm not I, sure which... I'm going with explode. Really? Why? It'd I think be more ex- of a show. Well, I think uh, an explosion would more quickly get you off of the toilet. Okay. It would, it would cause damage to the surrounding area. Yeah. So you'd have to do some remodeling afterwards. But I guess I'm okay with that because okay. this is going to be at my place of work. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll fix right. it. Yeah. Mm. All that money, they're not paying you. Just a little technicality. <laughs> um, any other headlines we need to pay attention to other than exploding toilets? Apparently. Okay. 
Go ahead. 1,700 Americans a day become millionaires. 1,700? Yeah. Wow. America has more millionaires than any other country in the world, Bloomberg reports. There will be 3.1 million new Americans, American millionaires by 2020. 3.1 million. Man. Uh, Seems like everyone's doing that it. That tra- translates into roughly 1,700 new millionaires every day. Mind you, the apparent upwardly mobile or upward mobility is actually due to most, mostly to older rich folks passing money onto their already well-off offspring. And it's about time. Inheritance is an increasingly significant driver of wealth in America. One study found that over 50% of investors with more than $25 million cited inheritance as a reason for their financial status. Mm. Mm. Man. Well, I know that when I got my first million, it was the, the, the toughest million to get. Yeah. You know, especially working in radio. Yeah. That first million working in radio is the toughest to get. How how did you do that? I inherited it. <laughs> grandpa. <laughs> My grandpa had a radio. <laughs> My really rich grandpa had a radio. Okay, that's so good. So, it, so there's it, a chance that just wait, if you'll you have become a millionaire. a wealthy relative, there's a good shot that you could be one of these millionaires. A lot of times they have to die, though. If well, if they're older and wealthy, but if they're not, if you don't have a wealthy, you yeah. know, relative, probably you're probably looking at having to work the rest. Do of you your remember life. the secret the, the, that idea? The secret that if you just put what you want out there into the world, yes, that the universe will then deliver it to you. Yes. So what if you want your no, inheritance? It doesn't work that way. So put a million dollars out there, that's, or, and that's, it'll come back. That's more about good thoughts. I mean, that sounds good negative. actions, oh, not okay. really money. But like, maybe grandpa, maybe it's time. If you're in, <laughs> grandpa, you, know, you done yet? Maybe grandpa just needs to go home to heaven. I'm just putting that out there. We need a pool in the backyard. Grandpa. Daddy, daddy needs his first million. This just turned dark. Yeah, it did. Sorry about that. Yeah. Any other headlines? We are going to be doing a news flush as well. Yes. Dictionary.com put out its word of the year. Yes. What would you think it is? Um, I think it's uh, goatgurt. Goatgurt could be it. Ah, uh, goatgurt was a good word. Xenophobia. Oh yeah, yeah. The website announced this on Monday. Searches for the word, which Dictionary.com defined as the fear or hatred of foreigners or of people who are culturally different, reportedly spiked throughout 2016 amid the Brexit vote and the Mm. U.S. presidential election Mm -hmm. and debates over the Syrian refugee crisis. See? Xenophobia. Xenophobia. Now you can use it. If you can use it in a sentence by the end of the show. Word of the year. Word of the year. Good job. (laughs) Dictionary.com. I'm tired of the xenophobic rants of our president-elect. We hear that all the time. Yeah. The misogynistic – We remember he was well, I think, he was framed as everything anti-foreigner, anti-women, anti-racist. I mean he was, every, he was against everything. Yeah, and that – again, it's dictionary.com, so people were trying to look up the word to find out what it meant. Right. Wait, I don't xenophobic. know that word. That's a new word. But it is a great word if you want to – if you have an X in the game of Scrabble. Absolutely. If you're playing Scrabble and you can use an X, you win. Xenophobe, figure it out. You'll figure it out. Or if you're confused and use the Z. Yeah, use the Z. Half the people would not know. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we're talking movies. And uh, who better to help us with that than Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Friday, folks, and Fridays mean you might have a chance to get to the theaters and uh, pick up or watch a couple of movies. Um, joining us to talk the movies, Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective so that you don't have those surprises where your kids come home from a movie and say, you won't believe what I saw, Mom. That's always a shocker. So, uh, Rod, are you there? Welcome to the show. I am here. Hi, Matt. How are you? Excellent. How's uh, you ready for the weekend? You got any big plans? Yeah, I'm trying to sell my daughter's used car. That's my big plan. If I oh, can do boy. that, she is. She's coming down your way to go to school in January, and and so I I've got to get rid of this car. It's a good car. Okay, let's advertise. Uh, how much? It's uh, a nice. What, we, little, what kind of car is it? Was well, a 2000 Mazda Protege. It's your typical student car, and it's in great running condition. Eight hundred dollars, <gasps> Matt. Canadian. Sold. That's about forty nine ninety five in your dollar. <laughs> it's possessed, isn't it? Tell us the truth. It's possessed. Yeah. Something's yeah, happened. Yeah. I, I didn't want. To, I didn't want to reveal that. But if, yeah, if, okay. If, but if, Matt, yeah. if it's possessed, it's one of these new self driving cars. You That's know what right. I mean? Like, and you That's don't right. have to pay the money. Yeah, and then you can just sleep <laughs> as you drive. In fact, That's if right. anybody wants to uh, find out more about the car, go to parentpreviews.com. <laughs> and, uh, and and do you ship it? Will you put it on a car transporter if somebody wants <laughs> no, to pay shipping. the $800? Yeah, shipping would be extra. Sorry, okay, shipping good. and handling Darn not it. included. All right. <laughs> Everything's not free anymore, Rod. Hey, talk yeah. to us. Uh, some movies you wanted to review. One of them I just saw with my kids, Moana. Awesome, awesome movie. Talk to me about it. Yeah, what a fun movie. Moana really is. is, um, it, it is it's going, it's set up to be this year's Frozen. It really is. I mean, everything Frozen is the new benchmark in the Disney December movie release. Um, but I like this one a whole lot more. First of all, the music doesn't stick in your head like Frozen did, yeah. which I think is a good thing. That's a great and, blessing. Uh, yeah. And the other thing I like about this, this is a movie about a young girl who lives on a, on a Pacific island. And, uh, okay, it's November, December here now in Canada. And, oh, this movie looks so beautiful because mm. there's beaches and blue water and green palm trees and all those things. And uh, so it's a great movie to look at, a great movie to listen to. And it's got a fun story. This is the evolution of the Disney princess. Uh, almost 100 years ago now when we started watching Disney movies, okay, maybe more like 80 years ago, you know, the, the girl needed the prince in order to survive and then somewhere around the middle there, kind of around the Aladdin period, the two of them started becoming a little more equal. And now the girl doesn't even need the guy anymore. This is a girl who's on her own, and she is set to become the princess of an island. And uh, But there's a problem on the island. The food is starting to dry up, and so she discovers why there's this mystic little uh, green stone that washes up on the beach. And she has mm. to go and convince a demigod named Maui, who's played by Dwayne Johnson, who really is the life of this movie. <laughs> it, he took it from uh, from another, uh, her name is Tafiki, and she's the, I can't remember, she's the princess of the islands or something, and he needs to return this stone. So this young lady needs to convince the demigod to take the stone back to the god so that things will be put back into order again. So it's one of these coming-of-age road trip movies. But Dwayne Johnson, you know, I remember complaining about Dwayne back when he first showed up on the screen like, this guy can't act. He has come so far, and he's really found his spot playing this quasi-tough guy with a with a, a tough exterior but a soft heart on the inside. Mm. And um, 
And that's the character that we have in this movie. And he's really funny, too. Does a great job voicing this big, buff, Polynesian guy named Maui. And it is it is funny. It's I was there with my uh, wife and kids ranging from how old? 21 down to 12. Mm-hmm. And it was fun for all. Yeah. And what I noticed about this movie, Matt, I was sitting in a theater, you know, probably about 500 people in a screening. And often the kids burn out after about 30 minutes. You know, they're laughing and they're right into it for the first part. And then they kind of start getting bored. Not this one. They were still well into it as we were coming into the closing act. So uh, I was impressed. It held the kids quite well. And like I say, it's a, a fun movie. Not much in the way of content concerns, except for the very youngest of children. You know, the under seven crowd maybe is going to be a little bit scared. There's uh, characters in peril, as we say in this film, quite frequently and uh and so you know we've got some perilous situations and there's going to be some scenes there that are going to maybe be a little bit scary for the very youngest but everybody else is going to have a great time and parents if you hold on tight to your six-year-old is she or he will probably be able to make it through it as well Hmm. and so a's overall for it just just for children under seven a little watch out yeah yep it's great good stuff and great message too and just a powerful woman story, too. It's it's pretty neat. Well, it is. And what I did like about this story is, um, you know, there's pros and cons to the to the whole female empowerment thing. And at the risk of getting uh, getting an inbox full of email here, I, you know, parents, you got to decide what messages it is that you want your children to hear. I thought this was a positive empowerment message. This wasn't a message that excludes men. Uh, but at the same time, this is an intelligent woman, young lady who uh, is making she's making good decisions and she's sacrificing um, some of the things that she would like for the better of her people as well, which is always a good decision as well. And her father plays a very good role in this, too, which I also appreciated. Mm. Loved it. Good stuff. What uh, what about loving? I'm hearing I'm hearing about that as well. A lot of good stuff. So Loving is one of these movies. This is now we're getting into the artsier movie division here. There's a lot of award movies that are going to be releasing over the next few weeks and into January. And Loving is one of the early contenders that's out of the gates. And this is the movie that depicts the story of the the pivotal court case in 1967 of Loving v. Virginia, which opened the door, which made say, which made. Sorry, I've got to get the words out right here. Couples of different races able to marry together Hmm. in all of the states. So this was the Supreme Court ruling. And this is the story that led up to that. This is a really well done, touching movie. It's a very quiet movie. And I think what I really liked about this movie is it demonstrates how we can make changes in our world, not by rioting and not by fighting, but just by quiet persistence. And that really comes through, especially in, uh, in the, the lady of this couple. She was Mildred, and how she it just quietly works at this. And eventually she winds up writing to Bobby Kennedy because the two of them get married in Virginia or get married in Washington, D.C., and then they come back to Virginia and they're told, you can't marry a, a black woman in Virginia. So either they're going to go to prison or they're forced to leave the state. So they go back to Washington. 
But while she's living in D.C., she's missing her family, and she determines that she wants to try and fix this. Hmm. So she writes to Bobby Kennedy, and that gets the ball rolling into what eventually became a Supreme Court case. So very interesting movie and uh, incredible performances here by Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega. And uh, A- minus on this one. Again, thankfully... Um, what I liked, the other thing I liked about this movie it is it focuses on the love of the couple rather than the violence that was surrounding them during this period. So this is a movie that you can share with children. It's a very lightweight PG-13. In fact, I'm a little surprised it has a PG-13 rating. And uh, really, B-grades in all of our content areas except substance use because it's a period movie. So we have people smoking cigarettes and there's some alcohol use in this movie as well. Wow. I mean, that's great. Uh, and what, a, what an interesting history and an interesting story as well. It really is. And and I think, you know, there's a there's just a lot of interesting story threads that come out of this, you know, and parents, I should let you know, really, even though there's not a whole lot of content, uh, probably anybody under the age of 13 is going to be bored to tears. And I'm not <laughs> saying that because this isn't an important movie, but it's a it's a slow mover. It's a movie that you guys kind of pay attention to and it's kind of quiet and doesn't hit you in your face, so to speak. That's right. And good discussions as well. Well, yes. um, Rod, appreciate it. Great insights. That's why we, we're so glad you do this, because then we don't have to waste money if we don't have to. And we're not taking our 13-year-olds to loving now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let them watch right. that as an adult when they're older and ready. Take, take those ones to Moana. They'll exactly. have a much better time. Yeah. Rod, you're awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Matt. You bet. And everybody, go check out parentpreviews.com. Really, the website is so informative and helpful. Also has some pretty powerful um, talking points and guides for you as a parent, things you might want to bring up and, uh, and, and actually delve into. Powerful. We'll take a break, come back. When we come back, we'll be getting into what we call the news flush, the stories we just got to get off of the docket so we can, you know, clean the decks. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hmm. guess we just got to hit the button thing. It's amazing when you turn on the microphone. I thought I did. <laughs> hey, um, okay, we have so many news stories that we never get to, but we got to get them off. I got to get them out of my system here. Yeah, you got to clear that. Well, I, I keep a stack of papers. I, yeah. I, I, they grow throughout the week, and they're just things we don't get to. I choose not to kill as many trees. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I figure we recycle, so we're good. Yeah. I just slow down our entire internet system here. Hey, uh, what's your first story that you want to go through? Every year, they look at the, the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, right? Right, right. And all the different items that are listed for The 12 Days of Christmas and how much it would cost to purchase those things as a sign of the economy. Is it growing? Is it shrinking? You know. So this year, the slow recovery of the U.S. economy is continuing to keep the cost of Christmas, or at least the gifts listed in this song, the 12 Days of Christmas, from spiraling out of control. As a result, the overall cost of gifts listed in the song increased 0.7% to $34,363, up $233 from last year. Man. Wow. What are you going to do with that? A partridge. How much does a partridge cost, do you think? Because you have a does partridge. It, does it come with the pear tree? No, individual. Okay. Oh, That's boy. Just an, an individual partridge. Yeah. Um, uh, 
Probably. Which, which member of the Partridge family is it? It's the drummer. Okay. Uh, Five dollars. Twenty. Twenty bucks for a partridge. Last today. year it was twenty-five bucks, so the price has actually dropped. Holy cow! Now, how much do you think a pear tree costs? Uh, full bloom or just a little? <laughs> just a pear tree. I'm going with a hundred bucks. Nine one hundred ninety dollars. What? The same as last year. And then you have two turtle doves, which is three hundred seventy-five dollars, and three French hens. $182. Now, they, this does add the cost of buying uh, some gifts are difficult because, you know, you have transporting of animals and then there's performers because you have lords mm-hmm. of leaping, so you got to pay those types of uh, fees. You got a handler really fee. Difficult, so. so overall, yeah, $34,000 if the, you want to do the entire song. <laughs> um, oh, wow. That just ruined my, because I had this French horn thing planned for the weekend. Yep. Man alive. The spit valves alone on that thing are just through the roof. Out of control. Uh, Washington Post is uh, posted an article that says nearly half of America's overweight people don't realize that they are overweight. Half of Americans are deluding themselves. Really? 70.4% of America apparently are overweight or obese. So half of them see themselves as thin. The other half see themselves as fat, and they're not really. Right. Hmm. (laughs) 70.4% are obese or overweight, but only 36% think they're overweight. How many are parents who just say their kids are big-boned? She's just really thick. She got her (laughs) father's thickness. (laughs) So as you prepare to pack your holiday pounds on this winter, consider, according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention... There's certain guidelines if you're overweight or not, and one way to know it is if your doctor has ever said, you're overweight. If they've ever said that to you, they're, it's, they're not like suggesting it as a hypothetical. If they've used the term, hey, you are clinically, you're obese now. So you're telling me I'm big boned. So you're saying I might need a little less go-gurt. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, anyway, people are becoming more and more delusional, and uh, we will be talking about it extensively on the show because we're going to bring a guest on to help us figure out if we really are overweight or not. Okay. But just People need to know that. Just kind of look at us and go, yeah. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> you are definitely overweight. Moving on, thousands of collaborators from all over the world have come together to find one of the largest known prime numbers. Oh, boy. And the discovery has gotten us closer than ever to solving the decades-old Serpensky problem. Hold on. The Serpensky problem? The Serpensky problem. I have been wondering about the Serpensky problem. At, At more than 9 million digits long, the new prime number is the seventh largest prime number ever found, and it just cut the six possible candidates for the elusive Serpensky number down to five. Mm. Established by Polish mathematician uh, Wayclaw Serpinski in the 60s, the problem asks you to find the smallest possible number that meets specific and very tricky set of criteria. You ready? Yes. The Serpinski number must be a positive odd number that takes the place of K in the formula K times 2 to the n power plus 1 for which all integers are a composite or not prime. Okay. Are we done? 
Are we done with that one? You know what? This is a relief because now we can move on to more, you know, we can move on to curing cancer now that we've got this off of Yeah, the, the Serpinski plate. problem is almost solved. <laughs> I was reading this like, wow, these guys are really into this. And I, they lost me a prime number, so. Yeah. Townsends don't do math. Hey, um... Careful, that could explode. That's right. Um, Jeff, this one's for you. I know you have a platypus. Yes. Did you know that platypus venom could hold the key to... Venom? Yeah. From a platypus? Apparently a platypus has venom. Wow. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. His name is actually Maximus Platypus. Yeah. Platypus venom could hold the key to successful treatment of type 2 diabetes. Huh. The same hormone that's produced in the gut of the duck-billed platypus to regulate its blood glucose is also produced in uh, the animal's venom. Does it have fangs? Apparently. Wow. There, don't mess with a platypus. Apparently. It's it's part muskrat, part duck, part snake. Is that what we're saying here? And they can use the the venom as kind of an antidote for type 2 diabetes in some hmm. treatments. Hmm. The hormone in question is called GLP-1. Of course. Glucogen's, like, peptide one. We just can't call it platypus venom. Yeah. By the way, have you ever had platypus, a platypus platter? Oh, the pla- oh I love that. Deep fried platypus. Mm. Mm. Skin on or off? Well, bone in or bone out? <laughs> <laughs> bill on or bill off? So it always comes with a bill. <laughs> Don't you hate it when the kids fight for the bill? <laughs> Look, I'm Donald Duck. Okay. Kids, you know your father wants the bill. I'm just going to flesh that one. Okay. One more. Give Final real quick one. one for the first time Boy. on. Oh, jeez. Exploding toilets. For the first time on record, living with parents is now the most common arrangement for people between the ages of 18 and 34, according <laughs> to new research. Millennials. That's right. Are living with parents again. So now you can probably brag that you're living with your parents still. 33% of all millennials live with mom and dad. I don't want to brag, but my mom and I are pretty tight. Yeah, do you want to come over to my house? My parents are gone this weekend. (laughs) We can play video games all day. Um, You know how to fix that, though. It's a very easy fix. Serve platypus. You serve platypus, clears the table. Give me the bill. Flushed. Okay, we will take a break. When we come back, the Good Brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us. We're going to take uh, find out their take on goat yoga, see if they've ever participated. Also, uh, see what's uh, coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. That uh, is um, a singing goat uh, doing a, a duet on Let It Goat, Let It Goat. One of my favorite songs when I do goat yoga. 
Let's shoot it down to our good brethren down at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Find out what's happening on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Wow, you guys are really struggling for some content on Friday, right? <laughs> yoga? Yeah, it's goat, it was goat yoga. No, it's goat yoga. Oh, we call it yoga where I'm from. In oh, all really? honesty, we were chuckling listening to that. That's pretty good, <laughs> isn't it? It's funny how some... Isn't that great? It's so ridiculous, it's kind of hilarious. You know that goat yoga is a real thing. People, of course it is. People are now doing yoga with goats. People are just trying to find new things because nobody else is doing it. Right. Have you guys ever done the downward goat? <laughs> It's really relaxing. I'll take your word for it. The downward facing goat? There's a downward facing goat. There's a screaming goat. There's the yeah, there's the upward facing goat. What does that sound like again? What? The screaming goat. The, what, will you have to replay it for you? Do you want us to do that? No, please. Jerem, really you want to go back to that? You you Jerem. I was just seeing if the uh no, audio it, board op was listening. No, he was, but he looked at me like I I can't. Is pull it that a up drop <laughs> or is it like already built it's, into the song? It's built into the song. It's called Let Let It Go. It's the it's this song is goat. <laughs> yes. Have you guys ever had a goat gurt? No, please. <laughs> no, I've had go gurt. Yeah, no, this is different. This tastes a lot like goat. Yeah. What are we talking about? I have no idea, but it's Friday. Yeah. It's yes, it so is. Friday. Hey, um, <laughs> so I was at the basketball game last night, uh, the jazz game. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, the – okay, this is a really important question. Mm-hmm. They have jazz girls. So it was the jazz against the heat. Mm-hmm. They have jazz girls, but now they have uh, jazz dancers. Yeah, jazz dancers. Jazz girls sounds like a – weird movie Mm -hmm. um jazz dancers they also have these jazz gymnasts that are tumblers that come out and they tumble Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's the stunt team terry's helping me with all their names the stunt team do do professional teams need cheerleaders i don't it's it's an american thing i don't think so Uh, football teams yes but i don't think any other sport Needs okay. cheerleaders. Here's He's, the deal. By so the way, I, my ticket, I didn't pay for it. it. A friend of mine, it was a $1,200 ticket. I don't need anyone else to help me cheer if we paid $1,200 for a ticket. Here's the thing with the U.S. It's not just about the game. For some reason, we have to have a cheerleader. We have to have a mascot that's marketable. Yes. Uh, you, you have to have... Entertainment. All, all Like, you go to a basketball game... And there's something every time out. It's never just like oh, listening to music. It's exhausting. The jazz bears doing yeah. something. The cheerleaders doing something. They're Tumbling. shooting t-shirts into the mm-hmm. stands. Show. Yes, all of that. It's this event, man. One uh, one time on my mission in Brazil, someone said, "Why? Why isn't it just the like Chicago, like the basketball team? Why isn't it just Chicago? Why does it have to be the Bulls? The Bulls? <laughs> like yeah. why does it have to have this it's cute branding. animal nickname? Yeah. And and like, I don't know. That's a good question. So. I guess this is what pays for the the entire ex- – it becomes an experience of entertainment. It's, it's not yeah. even a game anymore. Yeah, it's it's funny because we have to be stimulated at every yeah. waking moment, right? That's why that's – why I can't just watch the basketball game and wait for it. I have to see something else. That's why – don't you think that's why goats <laughs> are now moving into yoga? Goats are goats are taking advantage of an open market, I Smart. think, is what we're discovering. And they got into let it go. Music yeah. and exercise. Cheese. 
Yeah. In uh, uh, science, goats. Mm-hmm. movies. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Planet of the Apes? Planet of the Goats. <laughs> Don't tempt us. Don't tempt us. What, uh, what's on your show today, gentlemen? Well, oh, let's see. Where should we begin? Goats. Uh, nope. We've got the goat discussion out of the way. Okay. We've uh, filled the quota and then some with this uh, little hit that we had with you You here. guys don't like goats. I don't know why you have to hate on the goat. It's an NCAA tournament game day for BYU women's volleyball, and we are less than three weeks away from BYU football in the Poinsettia Bowl. Mm. Everybody's talking about the college football playoff, right? Which four teams are going to get in? Big teams, big money. But for BYU Sports Nation, it's about a different final format. Who? What? Where? The four potential opponents. Yes. The Cougars in the Poinsettia Bowl. Yeah, sweet, baby. Sweet, sweet. Mm-hmm. Do you have any gut feeling on one? Do you want to just throw one out there and just give us your gut? Or is no, that... but I'll tell you this much. Yeah? We have compared all four potential opponents to cars. <gasps> Excellent. <laughs> are, are any Ferraris? Nope, but there is a 1986 Chevy Silverado K10 pickup. <laughs> oh, I can hardly wait to see. I, okay, I'm watching your show. Tell me you're not intrigued right I'm now. I'm totally intrigued. Okay. That's good TV right there. Right? Let's go, Totally man. good. Let's go. <laughs> LJ Rose, BYU basketball point guard, will join us fresh off of a career high, BYU against USC. A de facto road game. It's technically a neutral site because it's at Staples Center in L.A., but that's like 10 minutes away from USC's campus. So BYU with a huge challenge facing uh, facing the Trojans tomorrow. Uh, And as I mentioned before, NCAA Tournament Game Day for Volleyball, Amy Boswell, one of the Cougar greats, will join us in Studio B. Wow. Great show. Great show. We're excited about it. Yep. Locked and loaded. Jimmer Fredette went 40-plus last night, too. So Holy cow. Yeah. Come on. All right. Noise. Nice, huge. Watch for our mannequin challenge too, Matt. Oh, oh, oh! That'll be good TV right there. It's only two weeks late, but we did it. Finally got around to it. So we have an interesting twist to it. Okay, mm. I'm on. I'm watching it. Have a great show, gentlemen. Mannequins. We'll look for the mannequin <laughs> twist. Okay. The new dance from Sounds BYU good. Sports Nation. See you, gentlemen. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. Here's a fun little uh, test for you. And in fact, Jeff's, I think, one of the first people that I've ever seen do this. You, when I first met you, showed me a picture of you at a restaurant. Yes. With a burrito, a mega burrito. Yeah. A burrito the size of. Bigger than the size of your arm. More like your thigh, not to get personal. Hmm. You know what I mean? It was a big burrito. (laughs) Yeah. So it was the first, and you Instagrammed it, right? Put it on Facebook. Facebook, and everyone, you got a ton of hits I've on. never gotten so many comments and likes. All you got to do is go find Jeff Simpson on Facebook, and you can get a glance at that mega, mega Rito. The most Instagrammed restaurants in the U.S., what do you think they are? These Ooh. are people sending you or Instagramming from the restaurant. According to Condé Nast, Condé Nast Traveler's Guide – Top 10. Are you ready? Yes. The funny thing is you won't know any of them unless you're a world traveler. Perch from Los Angeles, California, the restaurant, the French restaurant Perch. Nope. Never been there. La Marina from New York City. Nope. (laughs) Lavo from New York City. Nope. Oh, you'd love it. Hmm. Um... 
San Pedro Fish Market from San Pedro, California. Ooh. Because they've just got a ton of fun in their food. Bodega, no, what is it? How do you say it? Bodega Louis, Bodega Louis in Los Angeles. Just no. Black Tap Craft Burgers. Katz's Delicatessen in New York. Tau. I've heard of them. Tau. I've heard of Katz. Yeah. Uh, it's great. You'll laugh. You'll cry. Better than Katz. Tao downtown from New York. Nobu, Malibu in Malibu, California, because it's right on the beach. And number one, Sugar Factory from New York City. I don't believe that that's the best list. Are we just not hip? Obviously. And you know there's been more Instagrams from McDonald's. Are you kidding me? There definitely are more from McDonald's. Now I'm hungry for McDonald's. I am too. Uh, As you know, we like to end with a hero story. And our hero today is Lorenzo Clark said he was delivering mail along his route in Morristown, New Jersey, when he heard a faint noise from inside a nearby home, which he knew was occupied by a 76-year-old Asunta Nobile. I already had delivered mail, but uh, I had this second feeling that something was wrong and I went back upstairs said Lorenzo Clark. Sure enough, I heard screaming and I realized it wasn't the TV. I said, hello, and she said, help. Clark realized that the Nobel had fallen and was lying on the floor. He entered after being given permission and came to her aid, picking her up, placing her on a chair, and staying with her until her family arrived. She was sore and bruised, but she was all right. It turned out well, the woman's daughter said. What Lorenzo did, if he wasn't there, the outcome could have been much, much worse. She would have been on the floor for hours. So, Lorenzo Clark, you're the hero of the day. Just because you followed a little prompting. Sometimes it's the little quiet prompting, right, in our heart or in our head that leads us to being the person we need to be. Go be someone's hero by just listening to that uh, quiet voice that we have inside of us that tells us, you know, the important things to do. That's the show, and that's the weekend. And uh, until Monday, we won't talk again. But go make it a great one. Look after each other. And on Monday, we'll start it all anew. Talk to you again on Monday.